0: This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Mongey B.
1: And Christine O'Leary. Hi, this is Kevin Vandal. Hi, this is Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Ezra.
0: Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My
2: name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. And this is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Percoccio. This is Adam Beechon, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 53. I'm your host, Dustin, and today we have with us...
3: You got Josh. This is Zach.
4: This is Donovan.
2: And we are bringing you the latest comic news from the past two weeks, as well as the comics that have also come out in the past two weeks. But first, we have a ton of comic news. So the first thing we've got is we have an interview that was done with newsrama with David Hine, and he does mention a couple really interesting points that I thought needed to be mentioned. Um, Specifically, he talks about the future of Asriel, and despite the fact that we constantly berate the book Azrael. I thought it was uh, necessary to go over this because what I re- got out of the interview was really interesting and I thought maybe the outcome of Azrael could actually be decent. So with that, I will read for David Hine and Zach will read for Newsarama.
0: David, what's the idea behind the story for these two annuals?
2: This is a two-part story running through this year's Batman and Detective Annuals, which follows through on the idea of setting up a branch of Batman Incorporated in various locations around the world. In this story, we'll see how that works in Paris. It's an interesting location because there is traditionally a degree of friction between French and American cultures. France is always resistant to the intrusion of American influence politically and culturally, but at the same time, there is a fascination with all things American. So I've explored that aspect a little. How does Bruce convince French authorities to allow a U.S.-sanctioned vigilante to operate in Paris? Coincidentally, Bruce is in Paris at the same time that a series of assassinations is stirring up several unrest between various political elements. Paris is burning, and if Bruce can find the perpetrators and shut them down in time to save the city from complete chaos... He will have proved that his organization can be crucial asset to international policing. Along the way, we'll be meeting Nightrunner, who may just turn out to be the perfect candidate for French Batman. It will be cool to have a new French hero. I toyed with using the musketeer from the Batman of all nations, but I decided that France deserves a more modern hero. Nightrunner is a parkour athlete. Parkour, or freerunning, originated in a deprived urban environment in France, so it's an appropriate background.
0: How does Batman Incorporated play a role in the coming issues of Azrael?
2: The current version of Azrael has a very troubled relationship with Batman. Michael Lane was one of the three cops trained by Dr. Hurt to take over from Batman. That screwed with his head pretty badly, and Bruce Wayne has had visions of this Bat-ghost becoming a major threat in the future. Then, in the Asriel battle for the Cowl miniseries, Azrael, Death's Dark Knight, he fought Dick Grayson, and Dick ultimately allowed him to keep possession of the Suit of Sorrows. Now, Dick has to face up to his responsibility for the violence Azrael is using against the criminal element in Gotham. Bruce would like to bring Azrael under the Batman Incorporated u- umbrella rather than have him running around as a loose cannon. But he will have to sign up to the rules of engagement Batman do not kill. Azrael has a different and more extreme mandate. He is God's avenging angel. I expect some friction between Azrael and the Wayne Grayson duo if Azrael doesn't accept their offer to join Batman Inc. So, I think that's interesting. To bring the element of Batman back into the Azrael book is maybe what this book needs. Now, maybe they can actually have a story that pertains to Gotham tied into the Batman universe instead of just saying, this is a Batman book only because this character's origin derived from the Batman universe.
3: I don't know about him joining Batman Inc. because, well... This is kind of judging it a little too quickly, but from what I understand this Batman Inc. thing is, like, these people become Batmen. not like he's gonna still keep the name Azrael in the Azrael costume, he's gonna become Batman, and we don't need another Asriel becoming Batman. Although maybe his capacity in Batman Inc. will be something else, but it seems like a last-ditch effort to save the title and put it into the Batverse before it's ultimately cancelled. I'll be very surprised if we're talking about this book one year from now.
0: I don't want to make the judgment that these men will all become Batman just because nobody seems to really know what's going on. I, kind of, I like the idea. I think Michael Lane has the potential to be a really good character. He hasn't been given the right opportunity yet. If what Hine is suggesting here, that could be a good opportunity, I see no reason for them not to try to do this.
4: I don't know I'm not, I'm not sure. The thing was I'm, I'm just so used to the idea of even the p- people kind of work for Batman, they keep their own identity. so if if Lane turns into as bats as it were, it's gonna be weird for me so it's, it's, it's another case of wait and see I suppose. All right Joker. get ready for a little bat magic.
2: With That being said, let's move into our next bit of news which came on October 6th. The source announced that in January a new miniseries will begin. Uh, this new miniseries will follow Batman as he appears to be beaten and must be and must turn to the Joker for assistance. The series will be written by Brian Azzarello and Matteo Casali. The first issue will also be drawn by Jim Lee, and it's going to be a five-issue miniseries
3: that's really interesting it's uh with a team like that uh, i'm sure that the book will be talked about a lot will the story have any substance uh some people are actually tired of brian Azzarello, but i think he still has some great stories left in him and hey we can't complain about any more jim lee drawing batman as long as he draws it on time yeah that is a
2: speaking of on time i just want everybody to know that this series was actually first announced way back in 2004 well, so. and I'm dead serious about this. They, they, they put a solicitation, they released a solicitation back in 2004, and really the only way to find it right now is there was a, something on Comic Book Resources message boards with a link to something from 2004 on their message boards for the solicitation for this series, and it was right at the time
4: when Jim Lee was like really at his peak. Then it never I happened. I remember reading that and thinking it was going to be a, a sequel to Hush, because I remember reading something that said that um, Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee would continue the, like the storyline they started with Hush, like not not another Batman run, but like or maybe a Batman run, but like, and it says that they're going to do like a, a, a second part to the story, and it'll be Batman Europa. So I remember being really excited.
0: I don't know about Matteo Casali. I don't know his work. I know a lot of Brian Azzarello, which is. He's pretty consistent. He sometimes hit and miss. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm tired of him yet. But uh, to me, Jim Lee drawing this issue in the cover is just a way for them to grab an audience with the first issue. I've always liked the idea that you know, that, that Batman has to turn to the Joker for assistance. But whether that's done correctly or not is entirely unknown at this point.
4: If you're going to have an idea that's radical, it's good to have someone like Brian Azzarello who is familiar with the characters to do it. It, it sounds interesting because it's Azarella for me, so I guess I'm biased. <laughs> naughty, naughty, you're making me miss the show. All right, so the next
2: bit of news we have is from also October 6th. The source announced that starting in January, Batman Beyond will start its ongoing with a brand-new issue, shiny number 1. The creative team on the series will stay the same with Adam Beach in writing, Ryan Benjamin doing the art, All I have to say is we knew this was going to happen. They already hinted at this numerous times. I didn't think it was going to be literally within a month of the series, the miniseries ending. But hey, you know, the story in Batman Beyond is a good story and I will look forward to this.
3: I'm hesitant just because of the writer and because of the track record that this miniseries has had. I think it's cool that they're reviving the Batman Beyond concept. And even though we're overloaded on Batman series at the moment, Batman Beyond is unique enough that it having its own ongoing, I don't consider it diluting the Batman franchise too much. But again, uh, the miniseries hasn't left me too hot. And well, we all know my history with Adam Beechin. So say no more.
0: I've enjoyed the miniseries to this point to an extent i don't think it's been perfect by any means but uh i'm okay with this i just don't think it's necessary like most of the things that dc puts out these days but that's a whole different discussion but i do look forward to checking this
4: out i'm kind of with josh in that i think that batman beyond is uh, certainly unique enough to where it can have an ongoing and, and not it's different enough from the batman titles that you don't feel like you're getting the same thing just with a different uh creative team um whether I, whether I personally pick it up or not depends on how the, this story ends with the whole, Ho oh, ho, Dick Grace is the villain now! And if they really take that seriously, I'm not going to take this book seriously. I guess it sort of depends on whether, how the story ends.
5: Tell me something. Why were you so sure those voices weren't coming from you? Well, first, I know I'm not psychotic. I hope your other reason's more convincing. And second, the voice kept calling me Bruce. In my mind, that's
0: not what I call myself. What do you call yourself? Oh, yeah. I suppose you would. But that's my name now. Hmm. Tell that to my subconscious.
2: All right, so the next thing we've got is also from October 6th. Newsarama posted an interview with Scott Snyder about his upcoming work on Detective Comics. It's only about a month away before we get the first issue of that, so this time Josh will read for Newsarama and Don will read for Scott Snyder.
3: Last time we talked, you revealed that Detective Comics will have a crime story focus and will be based in Gotham. But we didn't know very many details about what would happen after Bruce's return. Does his return play a role in your run on Detective Comics?
4: You know, it does play a role in the book. The basis for this story is that Dick Grayson has been given Bruce's blessing to be the Batman of Gotham. So it all extends from that. Originally, and particularly as he suspected Bruce was alive, he was playing Batman as a role for a certain period of time. And he even says that there is a feeling of wearing a shroud. But now Bruce is back and has given him the okay to be Batman. And so our whole story based on this idea of Dick Grayson's trial by fire.
3: Can you reveal anything about these new villains that Dick is dealing with? Or are they designed
4: to be surprises? I think they're going to be surprises. The person who will cause the most ripples in terms of continuity is a character who comes back to cause trouble for Jim Gordon in the backup. But Dick will also be dealing with some other people from the past and new characters. We want to meet this new Gotham that's being born right around Dick Grayson as he takes on the mantle. All
2: right, so Dick will be the Batman of Gotham. I'm pretty sure we all kind of knew that. Anybody who didn't know that...
4: uh, Didn't read the books.
2: Yeah.
3: Dick's been Batman for about a little over a year now. The way that he's doing this interview, he's talking like this is his trial by fire and we're going to see Dick as he takes on the role of Batman in Gotham. It's... He didn't just put on the suit yesterday. So I, I don't know. Like, this could have easily been an interview from 2009. This tells me nothing about the new direction, in my mind, at least.
2: As a real quick side note, you know, he's done... This guy's probably done three interviews with both Comic Book Resources and Newsrama individually. So he's done a total of, like, six interviews. He doesn't have another book coming out. They do one almost every single time there's, like, new solicitations released. And there's nothing new that they can talk about. So it's it's getting repetitive. I only posted this thing up because of the thing about Dick Grayson being the Batman of Gotham.
0: Right. I don't think that this interview says a whole lot about what's going on in Detective. But I just will say that I'm extremely excited about Scott Snyder working on Detective. Just because the more I I hear him talk about things that aren't even have to do with batman necessarily just his his enthusiasm about writing makes me enthusiastic and i look forward to to reading this
2: i think ultimately my my idea of this series is i think it's gonna be really good i'm looking forward to him his writing too but at the same time i do have to wait and see how the first issue goes but if he really is going to tell detective stories in detective comics that's already, that, that already jumps it up one batarang for me. So, <laughs>
1: Beautiful! Toss him into a trash can and make sure the lid is closed tight!
2: <laughs> Alright, so the next thing we've got is from October 7th. Comic Book Resources posts up an interview with the current writer of the Batman Beyond miniseries, Adam Beechin. As we know, Adam Beechin will be continuing his work in January with a new ongoing for Batman Beyond. So this time, this time Don will read for comic resources
4: and I will read for Adam Beecham. Before we get into the new series, let's return to the big reveal fans saw in issue 4 of the mini when Dick Grayson unmasks himself as the Hush villain at the end of the arc. What does that move mean for the conclusion of this story and for the way the world of Batman Beyond will be shaped now that this vital character from Batman's history has stepped into the book?
2: Well, there's two Dick Grayson's running around. There's the one who's adopted the identity of, or at least has been branded by the media as Hush. Then there's the older Dick Grayson who had the falling out with Bruce Wayne. Either way, it's going to change the dynamic of the universe. One of them is obviously not the real Dick Grayson. One of them is a bad guy, while the other is sort of a mystery character for now. I'd say the major change in this version of Batman Beyond is that we now know what happened to Dick Grayson, which was never explained in the animated series. It's his first appearance in the world of this series, and we'll have to see, based on the outcome of the miniseries, how he sticks around and the part he plays in the dynamic of Bruce and Terry and the whole world of Batman Beyond.
4: Well, that supporting cast expand out to include folks like the new Catwoman and Dick Grayson? Are you going to carry over those threads for the mini? I'd absolutely love to. That's my goal. These characters are now
2: established in the universe, and we want them popping up much like any character can pop up in any bat book. One of our goals is between story arcs of the new ongoing is to do standalone stories that spotlight a different character every time, much in the same way that James Robinson in Starman would break up the bigger stories with Times past issues. We want to resurrect the notion of legends of the Dark Knight and do single issue stories that focus on Batman from another character's point of view, whether that one's one of our regular cast members or a denizen of Gotham or perhaps a supervillain or even Ace the Bat Hound. <laughs> we want to take a different perspective on our lead character and, in that way, flesh out the supporting cast. We'll have lots of opportunities to explore this world. I'm pretty excited about that. Legends of the Dark Knight notion. Actually, because that was one of my favorite books. The chance to bring that back, albeit in in a different context, is pretty exciting. Alright, so with that being said, uh, a couple comments. There's two Dick Grayson's running around. That could explain why the last issue didn't make a whole lot of sense. That last issue, when I reviewed it on the last comic cast, I specifically said, you know, it didn't make any sense, the timelines of how there was these two characters who were clearly as revealed at the end were the same person, despite the fact that they were in two places at the same time. So if there actually is two Dick Grayson's and one is a fake, that could be interesting. And this interview is the only thing that's making me really think I want to go get this the day this comes out, instead of waiting till the weekend and I have a chance to get to the comic shop. Just because I want to know who this other Dick Grayson is. I think Beechin's doing a really good job at making these issues end really making you think. I don't think the first issue ended any, any differently than, you know, oh, the title of the story arc is Hush Beyond and you've got me enthralled now. No, I don't think that happened. But I think he does a very good job at making you really question what's going on and what it, where is it going, which nowadays is very lacking in a lot of books. You don't really get that feeling at the end of the book. You know what's going to happen. It's something They leave you on a cliffhanger. Someone falls off a building. Well, that person's not going to die. They're going to get saved somehow. They never die. So, what's the point of even doing something like that? But anyway, I got to say, I'm looking forward to this, and I think the idea of having the individual stories in the future ongoing is a cool idea too, because maybe then we can learn about some of the characters in the Batman Beyond universe. So, like, we could learn about what happened to the penguin. You know, in the future. I think that that that's an aspect that really interests me.
0: I like the idea that he's he wants to do standalone stories. I think that's a much smarter way to write this this story versus doing this, doing these big events. And if there is two different hush, that explains a lot of things and that clears a lot of things up. And maybe that last issue isn't so confusing, even though it should have never been that confusing to begin with. But, uh, I agree. I, I have enjoyed this miniseries for the most part. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to the next issue.
4: Um, I don't know if this is going to cut out or anything, but it sounds like he spoiled it by saying, well, there's two Dick Grayson's and they don't make a lot of sense. Or do they? So, like, uh, <laughs> if it turns out that Dick Grayson's actually not a, not a bad guy, then I'll be more enthusiastic in, in giving the series a shot.
3: Well, Adam Meachin is known for uh, keeping spoilers out of interviews.
2: Adam Beechin is also known for reading websites and forums and finding out what people's thoughts are on certain things, and because of that, he then will do these interviews and he'll clear things up in his way or you know in his own way. I don't know. That's a so, necessarily a
0: bad thing, though.
2: No, I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I think I think that's actually a really good idea. And you know, I don't. I think a lot of writers don't do that and they lose out because someone will you know finish reading a book and be like, wow. This was a completely convoluted story that didn't make any sense. I don't understand what the point of this was. You know, they don't explain themselves. they you know, just like, eh, well, you know, I wrote it. It's good. I don't need to do anything about it. So,
0: yes, every say? Every writer can be defended, Josh.
3: No, actually, I, I can get behind that defense. He, he serves a good point.
5: Watch out, Batman. This could be tricky. I'm no
1: hero. I'll keep all my wits about me. So long.
2: All right, so that's going to bring us into our next bit of news. Also from October 7th, The Source posted up an announcement from both Dan DeDio and Jim Lee stating that uh, in January, a number of books will drop in price from $3.99 to $2.99. As far as the BAT books that are affected by this announcement, previously priced $3.99 books that had 22-page stories will become $2.99 for 20-page stories. will include... Batman The Dark Knight and Batman Incorporated. Previously priced $3.99 books that feature co-features will become $2.99 and feature no co-feature and return to the 20-page stories that will include Batman Streets of Gotham, Detective Comics, Books priced at 3 dollars in January and will feature a 38-page story will be Batman Europa. The DO did mention that the co-features will have another platform in the future, although they obviously will no longer be in the books as of January. Uh, he also mentioned that the amount of pages per book for miniseries and special events will depend on what the writer needs instead of a standard size, which personally I think that's a great idea because there's plenty of writers who I think could tell a story in a much shorter page span than twenty-two pages.
4: Yes, thank God for this. This is just this. This is a step in the right direction for uh, the company, in just in general, this to me, this is like nothing but good news. So. Thumbs up.
2: The one thing that probably surprised me the most about this article was that Batman: The Dark Knight and Batman Incorporated are price dropping. I had no idea that they were going to be. 3.99. So the fact that they come out with these new series on top of all the stuff that they already have and they take these two series and they jack them up a dollar even though yes okay they they learned their mistakes from before they even happened and they're dropping the prices down in January what were they possibly thinking was the justification for making this book 3.99? You get nothing more, nothing more at all.
3: <laughs> I, wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been surprised when these things came out as three ninety nine because, like lately, the it's almost like common practice that if the book is a special event or something, or if it's a new book, it's always going to be three ninety nine. So I just like if I get a two ninety nine book when I am you know ringing out at the comic book shop, I am like, oh cool, you know, less money to spend this time because they've slowly been like secretly switching the three ninety nine little by little and just easing us into it. So the fact that they're like, hey, we're going back to two ninety nine. It's almost like uh, never really officially left two ninety nine, 99 but okay. That's like I'm saying, hey, gas
0: prices are staying the same. I am surprised that they're dropping the, ty- the prices on these books. That almost never happens with anything where they raise prices just to lower them. Obviously, there is a, a cost for that. You're going to lose two pages.
2: I think it's a good business decision because the problem is, that especially with these books with the co-features, there wasn't one co-feature that was really, really good. There wasn't. It, you, I mean, there's no, there's nothing that you can say. Oh, let's think back. On it. Detective Comics. We had the question co-feature. That was no good. Now instead of a co-feature, they took the co-feature out of Detective Comics. Replace it with just longer stories uh, that don't need to be longer. And the only promise of anything of Detective Comics co-feature was this Jim Gordon one, which will only happen for two issues. Let's move over to Streets of Gotham. We had the Manhunter one, which failed miserably, which then switched to Two-Face. The only plus side, I guess, of that one was that, oh, wait, they had enough story to spread it over an entire issue one time because Paul Dini didn't do the story. And now we have the Ragman co feature, which again I was actually looking forward to, and they won't be finishing it. I think it's interesting that one, they decided to do these co features in the beginning. The idea, the concept was cool. When you think about what you were paying the extra dollar for, you realize to yourself it was a giant waste of money. And I know a lot of people, a lot of people dropped the books because, especially those two books. For the time being, because they didn't want to pay an extra dollar and get very little more. Little, get really anything extra.
5: I don't know what you want, but I know I can get it for you. With a minimum of fuss. Money.
2: Jewels. A very big ball of strength. Alright, so with that being said, let's get into our next thing, which is... From Friday, October 8th, Newsroom posts up an interview with Grant Morrison. Morrison will be writing Batman The Return, and as we know, next month, Morrison's new series, Batman Incorporated, will begin. Let's go over some of the highlights from the interview. Josh will read for Newsorama and Zach will read for Grant Morrison.
3: We've seen quite a few characters evolve, and one that has been the most noticeable is Damien. What were your ideas behind the character when you first introduced him, and was it always your intent that he'd be the type of hero he is today?
0: <laughs> no. When I first introduced him, I figured I was going to kill him off at the end of the first four-part arc. Really? Yeah, really! I thought people would hate him so much. I thought I'd do one of those classic stories where the little bad guy in the last act suddenly does a wonderful thing and sacrifices his life and saves the world and you feel sorry for him. But then I thought, no, this character has a lot more potential. Once I'd written the first part of the original Batman and Son story, where Damien's in the cave and he's such a brat and he's so unpleasant to everyone... And the fact that Batman had this boy with such hatred gave me this feeling that I thought I'm going to make everyone love this character because I think there's some big potential here. It's really worked out. He's really become quite a breakout character from the series. As I said at the start of Batman and Robin, I think he's almost got the potential to be the Wolverine of Batman. You know, he's got that little feisty tough guy scrapper thing going on, but in a very different way, obviously. He's an aristocrat and an assassin. But yeah, once I realized that I was going to keep the kid alive, it was always my intention to put him through a big, big story arc that would end up with him being one of the great heroes of the DC Universe. Grant, when
3: I was looking over your run, I noticed that you emphasized how unique Batman is. With the three ghosts of Batman, and the clones created by Darkseid, you've made the point that you can't duplicate the things that make Bruce Wayne this incredibly powerful superhero called Batman. Yeah, yeah. But. How do you get from this theme of Batman being someone from Batman being something you can't duplicate to the concept of Bruce Wayne wanting to duplicate his efforts around the world in Batman Inc?
0: What he's trying to do now, he's realized his vulnerability. And also, as a result of Return of Bruce Wayne number six, and what happens in there, he's also realized that he is kind of a living symbol. He's almost a new god himself in the sense that Batman is bigger than Bruce. No one can be Batman like Bruce Wayne no one can process that feeling of trauma in the way that he dealt with it, and the way that he turned the worst day of his life into this beautiful crime-fighting experience that saved so many other lives. Yes, no one else can be that man, but he's realized that other people can represent Batman. And then he's come back and seen that Dick and Damien have managed to keep Gotham intact while he's been gone. And suddenly it's the idea of this symbol. That's what drives him towards Batman Incorporated. What's going to happen when Bruce
3: Wayne himself... Not just Batman. But Bruce Wayne returns to the world. What are the ramifications of his homecoming? And how is he involved
0: in Batman Inc.? He takes a much more proactive role in the idea of Batman. As you'll see in the Bat in Batman the Return, he's much more dialed up in the mix, I guess. A lot more. Bruce's voice is louder in the Batman concept than it may have been in the present or in the past. He's come to understand who he is. He's not just a shell of a man. He's not just a mask or a face. He's realized that Bruce Wayne and Batman are the same. So now he's allowing Bruce Wayne's business expertise to influence Batman's crime-fighting work. He takes a much bigger role. You'll see Bruce Wayne is almost a Tony Stark figure using his money in a very different way. Will his money be involved in Batman Inc. in a big way? Oh yeah, definitely and Wayne Tech will be providing a lot of new equipment for the Batman operation.
3: Lucius Fox is going to be
4: pissed.
0: I
2: found this interview to quite interesting. That's why there were so many highlights included in this. A couple things I found interesting. One, it's almost as if Tommy Elliott has opened a door for Bruce Wayne to be spending all this money because, I mean, look, Tommy Elliott was throwing away a million dollars at a time to these random charities and stuff like that, and Bruce Wayne will come back. He'll stop his charity work and he'll start throwing money at these new people saying, OK, you're Batman. Here's here's a billion dollars. Go go be Batman.
3: I thought that some of the Damien-related stuff was interesting, um, although I think I vaguely remember hearing that he was going to kill off Damien in the first story in the past, which they kind of did do the whole uh, comic book death, because I think Damien and Talia were an explosion at the end, so... It was as if they had died and at the end Damien had kind of redeemed himself.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah. So uh, it sounds like his whole plan to make Damien one of the great heroes of the Batman – or of the DC universe as a whole hasn't really come to fruition yet. Not sure if it ever will. We'll see. But it was – you know, we got some insight into Batman Inc. a little more and into Batman's mindset. I mean – the, there, some of these were actually good questions. Like you're talking about how unique he is, and now he's being replaced, and now he's being you know yeah. globalized. So these were actually good questions, and Grant's answers, you know, they weren't typical BS answers. You know, he. So uh, this was actually an insightful interview.
4: Yeah, I, I was I was digging it. I, I like how um they. I, I didn't even realize the idea that he spent so much of his for, for beginning of Batman Run show. Well, I mean he did in Batman RIP, but I, I didn't even make the connection that now he's sort of like going back on that and they brought up why and I thought that was interesting um it actually got me a lot more excited because when we were first going over the Azrael stuff you heard you know oh, the Batman of France and I was like oh god please don't, don't do this but like the way Grant was selling it like you know like a perfect salesman should I mean he he got he kind of got me interested and kind of had me sort of turn around to the idea so it's, it's going to be interesting overall it was interesting to hear Grant kind of justify his run as well as what he's going to do in the future have a nice day Alright, so that's going
2: to take us into our next thing, which was from October 8th as well. New York Comic Con started, and DC Nation was the first panel that happened, and we were live in New York to cover the details. The first thing we've got, like I said, is the DC Nation panel, and let's run through the highlights. Batgirl will begin to have her own rogues gallery built this year. Damien will revisit Steph in Batgirl. Batgirl will have a Valentine's Day issue that will feature Clarion The Witch Boy. What? Fabian Siza has plans for Cassandra Kane and she will appear in Red Robin soon. Dan Dio promised that Batman The Return of Bruce Wayne, number five, will release next week, which we as we know he kept his promise because it did come out. Some romantic stories could come from Grant Morrison when Bruce returns. Ian Sattler mentioned that the arc after Judd Winnick's arc in Superman Batman is a new team that cannot be announced yet although we already have three issues solicited all with different teams so that was quite interesting uh, Manhunter will continue to be in Streets of Gotham and there are no plans for her to be appearing in Bird's of Prey a lot of interesting points and
4: Cassandra Cain's maybe will he see her soon? God I sure hope so and uh, if it's written by Fabian I, I'm, I'm uh I am even more optimistic. Even if, even if, uh, Red Robin, that sounds really, really cool.
3: I have no clue who Clary on the Witch Boy is, but um, uh, Miller has been talking about in a lot of interviews that we'll really be surprised about who Batgirl's new romantic interest is in the Valentine's Day issue. I hope it isn't this guy because I was hoping for like something super surprising. I don't even Did
4: you ever see the uh, anime's the New Adventures of Batman episode with the uh, Etrigan? Yeah, that was de- that was Clary on the Witch Boy.
2: Yeah. Clarion the Witch Boy. That's the only way I know him is from... I only know him because he appeared in the animated series. That's the only way I know him.
3: Damien appearing in Batgirl again, we can all agree that that's a good thing because that was one of the best issues ever of anything.
2: All right, so the next thing we've got is the DC Universe panel from New York Comic Con, which happened on October 9th. There was a couple highlights, not a ton of things, but uh, let's go over them. Detective Comics will live up to its name and have detective stories inside of it. There was a slide shown of Batman standing over Oracle's tombstone, which is the cover of Two Birds of Prey number 7. Gail Simone said that after the current arc in Birds of Prey, the next arc will be titled Death of Oracle. She mentioned that the story arc is a game changer for the entire DCU. Catman and Huntress will have a date in a future issue of Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey will have a crossover with Gotham City Sirens. Nick Grayson will continue to be Batman in Justice League, and a future story has an appearance from the Crime Syndicate and Dark Supergirl. Nightwing will not be coming back. Tomasi's story arcs will depend on story content for a number of issues involved. The first story arc will consist of four issues, unlike Grant Morrison's previous story arcs of three issues. Tomasi plans on adding more villains to Batman's rogues gallery. Damien Steph will be hanging around the Supergirl series starting in Supergirl number 60.
3: So does anyone think that Oracle's really going to die?
4: Well, why would she die? I mean, they said she would. Yeah, why wouldn't they? Why would they lie?
3: I think that if she was going to die, they wouldn't announce it like with a
0: tombstone at Comic-Con. Or maybe he's just buying her tombstone ahead of time. Maybe he got it at a
2: discount. <laughs> hey, Oracle, look what I got
0: you for Christmas. I think the, uh, the birds of prey crossing over the Gotham City Sirens, that is a great idea. I've got even a better idea. Why don't you just take the two books and make them one book?
3: Maybe like Oracle made her wheelchair go off a bridge when she heard that she was going to be in Gotham City Sirens.
4: Not this time!
3: Look at the tombstone, though. It's like, Oracle, she saw into our soul. What is that?
1: She saw into our soul.
3: Like, that's
4: that is, like... Oracle never did that. Yeah, That's, that's some deep stuff. Enough. Don't you
0: just s- swell up with tears when you read that tombstone? She saw into our souls? Like, what that? No, I thought
4: happen- that it's Bruce Wayne Batman, not Dick Grayson Batman, so apparently Dick Grayson doesn't really care.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, he, he, he left the funeral with Starfire when I saw that it was Bruce Wayne at the thing I thought it would have been more important for, uh, more uh, appropriate for it to be Dick Grayson given their history but oh well she's probably not dead or maybe it's an actual oracle that can see into souls or something
4: or well, maybe Darkseid cloned her and you know she's, she's traveling through time <laughs> and Is then Proxy meaningful? will be the new
3: the, the battle for the for the keyboard <laughs> it's like for the wheelchair <laughs> oracle
1: the
4: plane
2: show Batman I sent up a flare Robin's on his way
0: you didn't get the memo oracle but I've been going by Nightwing for oh about a decade or so
5: oh yeah I don't know why I can't remember that maybe I should try saying it 10 times in a row Nightwing 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 Nightwing
2: so the last bit of news we have is from October 15th uh, Newsrama posts up an interview with Yannick Paquette and as we know Paquette will be drawing the upcoming art on Batman Incorporated so I will read for Newsrama and Josh will read for Yannick Paquette Grant told us Batman was traveling to Japan in the first couple issues. Does that influence the style you're using?
3: Yeah, it might not always work, but my intention is to be influenced by every region or country's art and culture and visual element as Batman travels. First by Japan and next we're going to Argentina. If you look at the cover of the second issue, it's almost a manga cover with high contrast and a lot of high design elements. I just use it to feed me some new kind of fun visual inputs. For instance, I use speed lines at some point in the book. Of course, a lot of people in America use speed lines, but I never do it. But I did it in this book at a very particular dramatic moment, like the Japanese probably would. Actually, it's more letting the feel of it influence me in the background also. And when I'm talking about manga, I'm not talking about Dragon Ball. I'm talking about manga, which are for adults with very, with very complex backgrounds and stuff like that. There is a lot of background in the first story, Eric. I'm always enforcing these elements.
2: Jesus. Some of the characters you're getting to draw are new, and some have been picked up from other places.
3: Yeah, Mr. Unknown is, I believe, a new character. One day, somebody will discover that it's actually a reference to some absolutely obscure thing that only Grant knows now. But the villain is still obscure, but a little more documented. It's like Lord Deathman. He's a perfect classic Batman villain. But he's coming from the Batmanga.
2: Did you design the villain?
3: Yeah, I went into the internet and tried to find everything I could on the artist who did the Batmanga. And also this crazy Lord Deathman guy, which is basically a guy with a skull head. I did what I did with Terra Obscura, which is to take a very old design and just try and update it. So I was not adding anything special. I would just draw it in a modern fashion. So, for instance, I managed to take the the skulls more realistic. In the original manga, the skull was like a bag with the skull drawn on it or something. So I kept the little designs for the henchmen who are clearly Lord Death Men wannabes but cannot do it for real. They have these cheap heads compared to the real thing.
2: So we already knew that uh, Batman was going to Japan for the first couple issues and then to Argentina. And we know for the annuals he's going to France, so the question is, where else will he be going? We know he'll probably eventually make it to England to talk to Knight and Squire. But that most likely will be after the Knight and Squire series end. Um, because I doubt they would want to confuse what's going on in Knight and Squire, which probably has nothing to do with Batman Inc. I'm pretty sure they would want to wait till after that was done where else will Batman be going? He might travel to the plains of America and go after the Native American Batman from the Batman of all nations. I thought this was interesting specifically because he tells us that... uh, He gives us a little bit more background story about Mr. Unknown and Lord Deathman and the fact that he's coming from this manga. It's just interesting because... Morrison takes these small little bits from the most obscure things. Zerinar. Who would have ever thought that R would have been like a common phrase within the Batman universe in 2010? Nobody. If you were a magical wizard that knew all of the Batman trivia, you probably know what R is, but not many people would know. But now... Everybody in the brother knows because not only was it in the books, but it was also an episode of Batman: Brave and the Bold. So I find these little these little things that Morrison takes really really interesting, and I think he does a really good job with it too. I
4: don't know. This is if you sound really pretentious and just disingenuous. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to stick on it, but just the fact that he talked about manga and speed lines, and everything just just told me that he does he's never even looked at it. It's, oh, no one does manga, or no, no one does speed lines, but I, I don't do speed lines, but now I do speed lines. And I'm talking about manga, like Dragon Ball, I'm talking about manga, for, which are for adults. And it's like, okay, dude, just 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 shut your mouth. But, I mean, it, it sounds interesting, Batman uh, jumping around in other countries is always rather intriguing. So, I'm, I, I'm looking forward to how it's being written and how it's being told through the art, just because, I don't know, this, this kind of really rubbed me off, rubbed me the wrong way on Piquette.
1: To the Batmobile.
2: Let's go. Alright, so that's going to take us into our comic reviews and we're going to first start off with Batman Odyssey number 4. If you think I've been bad news before.
0: Batman Odyssey number 4 of 12, story and art by Neil Adams. The issue opens with Batman revealing to everyone that this is not the real Riddler. It is the killer Reuben Irons. Batman then rips off the mask from his face. Irons then removes his handcuffs and throws this explosive device at a nearby car. However, it bounces from the car into the garage door and explodes, not hurting anyone. Irons then pulls out a revolver and fires it at Batman. Luckily, Batman uses a batarang to deflect the bullet. Unfortunately, the bullet ricochets off the batarang and into the professor's little girl, Louise. And, of course, Batman begins to think back to when his parents were shot. This sends Batman into a relentless rage and beats Reuben Irons relentlessly for quite a while. Finally, Gordon has seen enough and tells Batman to stop, but Batman refuses and goes back to beating Reuben. Gordon grabs a rifle from one of the policemen and threatens to club Batman with it when all of a sudden the paramedics declare that Louise is okay, just a flesh wound. Batman hears this and stops, suddenly relieved. Gordon then says... He was going to kill Irons, and Batman doesn't truly know if he was or wasn't. Meanwhile, Dick Grayson watches all of this and is deeply disturbed. So much so that he asks Gordon for a ride back to Gotham. Batman then meets Talia, and they go off and talk to one another. Talia shows Batman a scrapbook of photos, photos that show that Bruce and Talia knew each other as children which greatly confuses Bruce. However, Batman appears and takes the book from Talia. After a fight ensues, some imposter Batman and Robin, I guess, show up and help Talia and Batman retrieve the book. Giant Stingray then comes flying onto the docks and and Sting's man-bat, sending him into the ocean, presumed dead. Batman demands to know who did this, and Aquaman appears. Apparently, Robin informed the Justice League after the events that occurred earlier. Batman realizes that something is going on and dives into the ocean. To be continued.
2: (laughs) All right, so Batman Odyssey, I've said this before, so it's going to sound like I'm just a repeating record, but I'm not really understanding what the point of this is. There was some elements that were all right in this issue, but it just doesn't seem like we're getting a worthwhile story here. The art is Neil Adams, and that's what he's known for, his art, but he's not really known for his writing, and that's where I think this book is lacking. So I'm only going to give this two and a half out of five Batarangs.
3: I'm going to give it two out of five batterings, mostly because, as with everyone else, I have no clue what's going on. This is a crazy LSD trip. I think that the only reason why this series is out is because of the names involved with it. The whole thing about Batman and Talia and the book and knowing each other as children. and It's all a weird mind trip, and I'm hoping that it'll make sense at the end, but it doesn't make sense right now, so I'm giving it two out of five batterings.
0: I can appreciate that Neil Adams is trying to give us an emotional Batman because that's a characterization that we almost never see. Uh, I can appreciate that, but it doesn't work at all. The only thing that was amusing to me at any point in this issue was some of Batman's inner monologue. This is the most dated dialogue I think I've ever read in this decade everyone keeps saying blast it what the hell does that mean it would be one thing if adams was trying to tell like a 70s style of story but even if he was i still think he'd be failing at it there's no consistency whatsoever this story i have no idea what is happening and it's extremely frustrating there's no coherence between any of these last four issues i get the sense that he's trying to write some sort of like batman soap opera but he's failing miserably at that the only aspect that he's really succeeding at is this dialogue does sound like a dialogue out of a cheesy soap opera uh it's really awful why does aquaman have an 80s style mullet <laughs> uh i don't even care about the artwork because it's not making anything better and i think this is the worst issue i've read this year i would say never read any of this ever again zero out of five batterings.
4: I'm in congruence with uh, Zach's thoughts here. I think the art generally is better than it has been because a lot of the more intense scenes like with the girl getting shot and Batman beating up the not-Riddler-Riddler Riddler, are pretty... Are Those are closer to what Neil Allen says is as his best. But uh, after that scene, it's like I still see people's mouths and they still look really weird. And I'm not talking about the story yet because there is no story here. It's just a sequence of events of Batman acting so far away from character It's it shouldn't even be called Batman. And now we have Deadman and Aquaman being involved, as well as is that a monkey and some guy dressed as Batman showing up near the end? Like this story could make, make so little sense. Calling it a story is just incorrect in the highest in the highest caliber. So, I will give this one out of five. Batterings.
2: All right. So, Batman Odyssey number four gets one and a half out of five. Batterings. Let's take go into our next book, Red Hood Lost Days number five. Just be happy I only killed one of them. They're all assassins. And what are you? I'm cleaning up Gotham.
3: Oh, yes. And when we last left Jason Todd, he was surrounded by Russian gangsters who were planning some sort of terrorist plot with bombs. And they have him at gunpoint. Luckily, Jason is able to talk his way out of it, albeit temporarily. But thanks to diversions like throwing up in front of them, he's able to fight his way out and find his way to their leader, who he ties up with a bunch of bombs attached to him to invade. That way he knows that he'll give him the actual location of the bomb scattered around the city because, as Jason puts it, there's some emotional insurance to him getting back on time. So Jason goes around, retrieves the bombs from the unknowing suicide bombers who they've been planted on, uh, these Russian civilians, when he, he finds out that the guy that he had Tied up in the room has been killed by other Russian gangsters who proceed to try and take Jason Todd out but if there's one thing that we've learned from this Judd Winnick Jason Todd series it's that Jason is mad as heck and he's not going to take it anymore so he kills all of them except for one last guy who just begs for mercy He wants to give Jason all the money in the world Jason doesn't need it he wants to give Jason a list of some of the FBI's most wanted locations that way he can you know turn those criminals in for a bounty Jason still doesn't care until the guy tells him that he knows where the Joker is that gets Jason's attention and it gets him to stop and listen and that's our cliffhanger for the issue.
2: All right, so Red Hood lost these number 5 um There were certain elements that I thought were kind of interesting. The fact that Jason is, you know, basically offered money to go after all the FBI's most wanted, I found that kind of interesting. The cliffhanger, uh, really, I mean, we're going into the sixth issue. How could it have ended any other way than that? Um, Obviously, we're not going to get Red Hood Lost Days number six and have him not have anything to do with the Joker. That would be a horrible end to the series. But then again, the series hasn't been that great to begin with. With that being said, I'm only going to give this two out of five betterings.
3: A lot of this was a waste of time. The only part of the issue where I was really interested was towards the end when uh, Jason hears that he can get the location of the Joker, but nothing's probably going to come of it, as we know, because he doesn't confront the Joker until the actual Under the Red Hood story. Uh, it was kind of interesting when Jason tied the guy the, all those bombs, you know, as kind of a torture technique. But otherwise, this is. It's just going through the motions. Jason's just doing stuff, biding his time. A lot of it doesn't feel relevant to me, and I still feel like the series was a missed opportunity. So I'm also going to give this issue two out of five batterings.
0: Yeah, just like Joss said, whenever I've read one of these issues in this series, I just keep thinking how big of a missed opportunity this is. And that's the only thing I think about. And it's not that, like, these this issue is like poorly written or anything. It just doesn't add anything for me to Jason Todd's mythos or anything like that. I think there are good moments of suspense here. Going into this with two issues left in this series, they're not trying to really like wrap anything up here. It just seems like that's it it's just they're taking their time and if they leave stuff unanswered or they're gonna leave my unsatisfied readers, which they're doing anyway, it, it doesn't matter. I know where the Joker thing is, to me you know, I saw that coming, but is that what this whole thing's been about? That could have been done in three issues. Like, we didn't need six issues to get there. I thought the artwork was good. The storyline is just—it it just seems really drawn out to me now. And like, the big reveal was not much of a reveal at all. Two out of five batterings.
4: God, I, I I do not care. I I just don't. I mean, yeah, Zach's right. You know, it's it's not badly written. Um, the art's not terrible. It's not really to my taste, but it's technically okay. But. This is supposed to be a tie into a Batman book, and it's supposed to be, you know, the story of the renegade Robin, and he's going around shooting people for fun. And it's like it's just like what everybody says. This is the problem with this miniseries. Nothing big is happening. We knew again. I've said it before. We knew back in manual what Jason Todd did before he came back to Gotham after being brought back by uh, uh, Tyagul slash Superboy Prime. So there's no reason to, to see the specifics of these. And if this is all we're getting, which Penultimate issue, it pretty much is. And this was a complete waste of time. I mean, okay, Jason's acting bad. Jason's killing people. Jason's traveling around the world. He's, you know, doing what Bruce did, but he's being at it because he's a bad guy. The only thing I can think of is a big so what. There's nothing about this that's worthwhile. It's not terrible. It's just not memorable. And in some ways, when you're writing and telling fiction, that's a lot worse than actual quality. So I'm giving this one and a half out of five batterings.
2: All right, so Red Hood Lost Days number five gets... Two out of five betterings. Let's move into our next book, Night and Squire number one.
1: Please tell the big man I said hello.
5: <laughs>
0: Night and Squire number one of six, written by Paul Cornell, with art by Jimmy Broxton. We open in the streets of London where we enter a local pub for costume heroes and their rogues. The pub is called The Time in a Bottle. Uh, It is a neutral ground for the heroes and the rogues where they can go and drink. (laughs) So inside the pub, Jarvis Poker, which is the British version of the Joker, and Knight and Squire observe this new costume character who's being teased by other heroes and villains. Squire pulls the character aside whose name is the Shrike. This is the British version and basically lays down the info about what the pub is and some of the characters in it. Squire is basically giving Shrike the backgrounds of all these various heroes and villains. During one observation, Shrike makes the comment, How gay are they? in which a large hero known as Faceoff replies, They're not, but I am, and storms away offended. (laughs) Faceoff also tells Shrike that he doesn't like villains like him coming into the pub. Squire, who was unaware that Shrike was a villain, asks him if he is. Shrike says, Sort of that he joined a villain website. Squire asks him how serious of a rogue he is, giving him examples of them throughout the pub. Shrike asks why they all drink here together, and Squire explains the truth magic prevents fights from occurring. The statue of Merlin upstairs prevents those sort of things from happening. Basically goes on giving him the history of the pub. Cut to Jarvis and Knight talking about the Shrike and the other heroes, and the Knight talks about how in Britain, the there is a sense of moderation, that the heroes and villains No, not to cross the line. All of a sudden, there is some electrical shock going off in the pub, and the current seems to be coming from the Shrike's hand. This sets off some kind of magical alarm in the pub. The face-off character then suddenly pulls out a shotgun and blows some character's head clean off. And then all hell breaks loose in the pub. Knight and Squire gives some heroes instructions and are looking to stop the outbreak. Meanwhile, the strike is confused. He doesn't know which side to fight for. Knight tells him to look after the wounded that he doesn't have to decide tonight. And then it turns into this all out brawl basically each the heroes lining up on one side and the villains lining up the other and just running after. However Faceoff is looking to kill the villains and the heroes are stopping him from doing that. He pulls a knife on on Knight but Squire swoops in and decks him right in the face. We then see Captain Cornwall and Cornwall Boy. They're the ones that are kind of responsible for all this. They've disrupted the statue of Merlin. It seems that they initiated the outbreak because Cornwall Boy is tired of Merlin not acknowledging him. The Cornwalls are descendants of Merlin. Cornwall Boy has taken Captain Cornwall hostage and plans on killing him in order to receive his power, making him even more powerful. However, Knight knows he won't kill him and talks him down while retrieving the Merlin statue and putting it back. After the fight, everyone is in good spirits and Shrike tells Knight he wants to be a hero. Knight is pleased. Knight and Squire then say their goodbyes. The issue ends with Knight and Squire shouting See you next month! And that is the end of the issue.
2: All right, so Knight in Square number one. I found this to be an interesting issue. There was a lot going on in it, though. I understand it to a point that you have to have a lot going on because, well, one, the idea is that it's supposed to be giving a British feel. And if you've ever seen any Monty Python things, you know that there's always a thousand things going on at once. Now, I'm not British, so I don't know if that's really something that happens in everything British, but that's my assumption. This is going to sound like a real nitpick, but the one thing that really turned me off was, and I don't know if anybody else noticed it, but when you read through the pages, every single page had Jimmy Broxton somewhere on it, his name, and the page number that it was. I find that kind of annoying just because it seems as if that would be for no other reason than to sell your art and say, oh, well, it's already signed, but that's, but that's me. With that, I thought it was a decent issue. I, I thought it gave a, a decent back history. I'm interested to know where it goes because I doubt everything's going to take place inside this pub. They made a big deal about the pub to begin with in a lot of the early interviews that he ta- when he talks about the series. But I don't think the pub is going to play a major role. I think some of the characters we saw in the pub will play a major role and we'll learn more about them. We'll probably actually learn more about the the characters we didn't learn a lot about in this issue. But overall, I thought it was a decent issue, and I think this is a unique twist on something that uh, we know very little about. So with that, I'm going to give it uh, four out of five batterings.
3: I'm going to give it one out of five batterings because I can't give it a question mark. Mm -hmm. Because that's, I mean, when I'm done reading this, I just kind of... I, I have no words, and I mean, I can't leave a no-word review, but the reaction is just kind of your mouth-dropping going, huh? I mean, stuff like, oh, I'm a, you're offending me because I'm gay. Well, are you a villain? No, but I'm on a villain website. See you next month. This series is just about as out there as Batman Odyssey, if not more, although at least with this I can follow the narrative. But all the same, what a narrative it is. So I'm going to have to give it a uh, 1 out of 5 batterings. This is
0: was so ridiculous but was like the greatest thing I've ever read Uh, this is this was such a great departure from the normal titles that we read every month I thought the artwork was just perfect I loved how he drew he was his artwork was so descriptive he draws he draws all these characters and in the backgrounds just everywhere and there was this two-page two spread when all this chaos breaks out that was just like, it was so fun to just look through both pages and look at everything that's going on and how crazy it was going in there. I loved all the British dialogue and the references. They're just cluttered and thrown in this issue. And as Dustin alluded to earlier, this does read like just a crazy Monty Python episode or something. It's just really great stuff. Paul Cornell was just great. There's just It's just one cheesy joke after another and after another and... I loved every single panel of it. I mean, there was, there are things that I don't get because I'm not British, but but I didn't care because I was just too busy having fun reading this. And this gives me another reason to love Grant Morrison, considering he brought these characters back to relevance. So uh, yeah, this definitely targets a strange audience, which apparently I'm completely included in. But I would tell people that were questionable reading this, I would say definitely give it a shot. And the other thing is, is that you know this miniseries is a group of one shots. So I don't know that you have to really read this to be able to read the next ones or you can pick and choose because this issue really is like explaining the universe that they, they live in. And it, I think it clears some things up. So I would say this is very cheeky. This is very British. There's a lot of dry humor, but it's absolutely great. So five out of five Batterings.
4: I, I, I kind of landed on the positive side of this issue as well. I was pleasantly surprised. Um, news came up to this, news was leading up to this, this miniseries. I think we were all kind of treating with derisive laughter and saying, what the heck? And um, still, some of that laughter is well-deserved because this is a funky issue, but um, it is fun. It, it's interesting, and it's, you know, it's fairly light, and I, and I like the characters. I always kind of kind liked night, night and Squad so much that I demand for them to have an ongoing or even a mini, but I thought they were interesting. And I like the dynamic duo aspect of certain uh, superheroes. You know, the hero and their sidekick. So I, I, I kind of liked how they were handled here. And here you have their own world and everything. And the thing with the, the heroes and the villains was kind of ridiculous. But it was also kind of fun. And uh, and it's, it doesn't feel so alien because you have Wildcat in here. Which kind of reminds you, actually, this is still in the DC universe. So don't worry. And it, 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 kinda, it ended clean, too. So um, along with the, the cheeky thing of, you know... Breaking the fourth wall by saying, "See you next month, true blue I mean readers." It was it was fun. So I'll, I'll give this three and a half out of five batarangs.
2: And then uh, on the website, Suave Star gave Night and Square four out of five batarangs. So that will give Night and Square a total of four out of five batarangs. All right, so moving into our next book, Batman Confidential.
5: You're mighty in Gotham, Batman, but in Wonderland, the Mad Hatter reigns supreme.
4: <laughs> Bat Confidential 49, written by James Patrick, illustrated by Steve Scott. This issue opens up with a 911 emergency call from a woman being a t- hiding her child and being attacked by a, a, a home invasion. Batman is aware of this and is on the move, but by the time he gets there, he finds the the, the patriarch of the family dead with a shotgun blast to the chest. He uses the detective skills to see how exactly that kind of happened. He he figures that the guy may have, must have opened the door and just been shot. So, something similar happens when he finds the body of the woman w- with a shotgun blast in her back seeing that she must have protected her child. Batman goes to the house and deduces the whereabouts of the child and the, the prowler by by stairs, looking at the laundry room seeing how the laundry, room, laundry door was open analyzing a fingerprint on there and comes back with the name Thomas Embry. Batman runs through the apartment complex and asks where if anyone knows about Thomas Embry. And when he goes into Embry's apartment complex, he, he sees that there are uh, a, a used-up worker's uniform, some plane tickets which were never used, and some an unopened bottle of pills. He ascertains that these are his medication, which he always, Embry Embry's always not been using. Embry then gets to jump on Batman by firing off and has the, the little girl, the daughter of the two slain parents, hostage. It begins as sort of a bit of a standoff, but Batman just uses his phone number that he, he got before to distract him while chucking a battering at the side of his neck. Embry and the girl will go flying out of the window, and Batman, grabbing two bat cables from his utility belt, clicks them onto the, to the parts of the door. And even though he figures out that, that all three are more, most likely to die trying this he decides to put the detective aspect of his personality away to save everyone's life. In a, in a scene quite reminiscent of Batman Forever, he manages to snag the Embry, even though he breaks his legs, and he ends up catching the girl and, and crashing into the, an apartment neighbor's window. As, as, as the night ends, Commissioner, Commissioner Gordon is told by Batman that Embry has a dislocated hip and a broken leg, and the girl is physically fine, but she needs some counseling. As another 911 emergency call is given, Batman is on the prowl once again, ready to strike whenever he is needed.
2: Alright, so Batman Confidential number 49. Now I gotta say, we repeatedly, month after month after month, bash the heck out of this series, and... When, it was when, when I figured out this was a new story arc, which, well, I figured it out at the end of the last month's issue when it said that story arc was over, I thought to myself, oh, well, here we go again. How many issues is this story going to take up time and waste my money? And uh, I got to say, I was, uh, I was completely surprised by this. Uh, I did not expect this to be really any good at all expected to be pretty utter crap as normal, but the surprise of the day, well, actually, it might actually make it as surprise of the month, was the fact that Batman Confidential is telling a okay and possibly worthwhile story by the time it's all said and done. Uh, So with that being said, I'm going to give this uh, three and a half out of five bad ranks
3: this was a very good issue of uh, batman confidential actually it felt like it would have been right at home over in detective comics or batman this is what batman confidential should be not these throwaway filler stories this was actually a very good detective story truth be told and you know kept me engaged for once i wasn't bored and going through the motion i mean i'm really hoping that we'll get more like this so i'm gonna give it five out of five batterings
0: this is a really good back-to-basics detective story, as mentioned before. I really like the opening of the issue with the 911 call. I thought that this there was a definitive voice here written. I thought the inner monologue was written really well. And I loved the bits where he's kind of tracking up and down the apartment, and he's thinking to himself, he figures out, oh, the model he's dating is seeing someone else. And uh, Alfred must be stress-eating again. I thought those were really amusing transitions. Uh, I loved when he go, lands in the sick woman's home and he says, probably mesothelioma. It's asbestos poisoning from the pipes. Get a lawyer. Overall, I thought this issue was really well paced. It was really smart. Uh, I thought the artist Steve Scott did a really strong job. It was really consistent. It's just really well written. Four out of five batterings.
4: I think this might be my favorite issue of Batman in a long, long time. And not to say that I've not been completely digging the heck, heck out of Batman Robin. As As good as those issues are, they are extremely good. This one... Doesn't have the baggage of too much continuity, despite the fact that a stick racing on the cover and Bruce Wayne in the story. This is why I love comic books, this is why I love Batman comic books, Because when you get right down to it, he's a very he's a very simple character with a lot of complex facets to him. But when the story's simple, it can just be just flat out entertaining. This was the good old fashioned, world series detective kind of story where nothing you know nothing too complicated, solving a murder, saving saving a child's life. You know, the job's never done, but he's going to do it anyway. It was just so enjoyable. I, I love I love how I mean, the um, almost Sherlock Holmes-esque kind of observancy with uh, Bruce Wayne's character. It was just, there's nothing really, anything you haven't seen before, but it was told so well. This is one of my favorite issues in a long, long time. So without question, I'm giving this five out of five batterings.
2: All right, so that is going to give... Batman Confidential number 49, 4.5 out of 5 batterings. Who would have ever thought we would have seen the day it got anything but something below three? Alright, All right, so that's going to take us into our next one Batman Return of Bruce Wayne at number 5. Uh, 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 Anger does not change the fact that your father failed to act.
4: The man
1: had a gun. Would that stop you? That's the that training. The training is nothing. Uh, the will is everything.
5: the will to act yield you haven't beaten me
1: you've sacrificed sure footing for a killing stroke
0: Batman Return to Bruce Wayne number five of six written by Grant Morrison with artwork, artwork by Ryan Sook and Pere Perez does the art for pages 22 to 31 The issue opens with Red Robin and Wonder Woman debriefing a large group of heroes about Bruce and his plan to accumulate enough Omega energy to blow a hole in time, which could be dangerous for the rest of the world, so they have a plan. We cut to the past, and we cut to Bruce sitting in a hospital with a woman standing at the end of the bed. Bruce is confused, and the woman goes on to explain that her friend, Martha Wayne, has been murdered. Wayne, Bruce asks. She then explains that she wants him to help exploit the killer, and she says all you have to do is wear this, and we see the back costume that Thomas Wayne had worn at a Halloween party. We learn that from the nurse that wo- the woman's name is Marsha Lamar. The nurse gives Bruce a pin suit, and he goes off to find Lamar. While walking, he begins to read through his journal, and he realizes that he wrote it. Outside the hospital, a group of mashers pull guns on Bruce, but he puts them down easy and Marcia Lamar realizes she has found her man. In the car, Lamar takes Bruce to Martha Wayne's parents' home. Lamar says he could speak with them. Marcia also mentioned that Bruce has an admirer, John Mayhew, the director who's recruiting actors for his next film, The Black Glove. Marcia just wants to see his acting skills. At the Kane's home, Martha's mother, Betsy, explains that she believes that Thomas Wayne had hired an assassin to kill his daughter, and the man who was killed with her was not Thomas Wayne. Betsy believes that Thomas bought Martha the pearls to point out to the gunman his target. She begins to explain how terrible a man Wayne was, a drug addict, an alleged rapist, all of this being kept from their young son. She ex- exclaims that Thomas Wayne is alive, laughing at all of us. Martha then asks for the keys to Wayne at- Manor, and Betsy gives them to her. Outside the gate at Wayne Manor, Marcia explains to Bruce that the Waynes' young son witnessed the murder of his parents, and they took him on a trip somewhere because Wayne's relationship with the Canes has deteriorated over the years. They then unlock the gate, and Bruce asks if Marcia thinks the Waynes were devil worshippers, and she explains that if they were, Thomas will be here tonight. She leads Bruce to the cemetery and begins to explain the history, that these rests, these graves rest above mazes of caves, that if this place wasn't being used for, for satanic reasons, it would be wasted. Bruce notices a tomb that reads deep into the darkness peering which is a quote from edgar Allan Poe's the raven he notices the door has been opened recently and marcia explains that tonight is a, is the total eclipse and she has become aware that something will surely happen there tonight marcia then says they must stop at the willow wood military psychiatric hospital we cut to the hospital where we see two doctors sitting in a dark office discussing one doctor's method of time hypnosis the use of a time box. We learn these two doctors to be Professors Carter Nichols and Dr. Simon Hurt. Hurt basically is threatening Nichols into selling his treatment and reminds Nichols of what happened to Roderick Kane, which is Martha Wayne's father, when he refused to play along. Hurt then excuses Nichols to meet his visitors. Outside on a bench, Bruce sits and an old man in a wheelchair says to him, Batman, beware the hole in things. Bruce looks over, confused, but is interrupted by the presence of Nichols and Marcia. After meeting Nichols and learning of his time travel research, Bruce and Marsha head back to Wayne Manor. There, Bruce asks Marsha why him, in which she somewhat dodges a question and plays the damble- damsel in distress role, convincing Bruce to put on the back costume. They then share a passionate, passionate kiss, and she calls him My Dark Knight and exits, reminding him that at seven, totality b- begins. Bruce knows that he is getting close to something big, and as Marsha walks down the manor staircase... We learn that Bruce knows this has all been an act, a performance of Midnight Masquerade, and we see Marsha dressing up to play Martha Wayne. Bruce puts on the costume and begins to descend to the catacombs. Meanwhile, Dr. Hurt, Nichols, and other men, including John Mayhew, open the tomb. We learn that they believe that Barbados will lead them to the casket of immortality and life eternal. Hurt then states, fetch the camera, John, as Bruce walks to the casket wearing the costume. Two men attack Bruce, but he fights them off. Bruce realizes everything that is going on by this time. Suddenly, Marsha hits Bruce over the head with a golf club, and his body is put on the top of the casket surrounding, surrounded by candles. We learn from her that this is all to ruin one man's reputation, the Waynes and the Butlers. They will have footage of Martha Wayne committing murder. Bruce tries to talk Marsha out of it as men pour gasoline all over his body. She then throws a lit cigarette on top of him, and Bruce begins to burn. Hurt tells Carter to now use the time box, but he refuses. He won't have any part of Hurt's black glove. Bruce Ber- Bruce's burning hand then takes the time box and is able to es- escape with the spirit of Barbados falling with him. Hurt then congratulates Nichols on being correct and then tells him to run. We cut to present time where we see Tim continuing to explain to the Justice League the actions they must take when Bruce shows up through the time spear all jack-curbied up. <laughs> and He is the ultimate back god. And that is to be concluded in Return of Bruce Wayne, number six.
2: All right, so Batman, Return of Bruce Wayne, number five. There was a lot going on in this issue. At some points, it was hard to follow. But then again, it's been hard to follow the last couple issues of this because there's so much going on in this short, short book. I don't really have a whole lot to say about it. it. It definitely was not horrible. But at the same time, I feel like... The delay was kind of useless. I don't really understand why it was delayed for so long, considering it didn't really seem like we got a whole lot more than what we would have got if we got it back in August like we should have. So with that, I'm going to give it 3.5 out of 5 batterings.
3: I really enjoyed this, and I remember when we were talking a while ago when Return of Bruce Wayne was being uh, solicited, that this was one of the ones that I thought would be good, a crime noir detective Batman story taking place in the early... 20th century, and it did not disappoint. I loved all the intrigue and the twists, um, the little touches like Martha Kane and uh, the Batman costume, and uh, when I say the Batman costume, I mean the Batman costume that Thomas Wayne wore to the original Masquerade Party. And the ending's a little confusing and kind of took me out of what was a nice crime noir, crime noir story, but otherwise uh, probably the best issue of Return of Bruce Wayne yet. I'm going to give it 4
1: out of 5
0: batterings. I would agree. This is definitely the best issue of the series to date. This was extremely dark. It was dense. There are tons of references to R.I.P. and the Black Glove. I love the hardboiled detective style of language that Morrison used in Bruce's inner monologue. Pa- he has finally kind of connected the past events of R.I.P. in the Black Glove and, and it's all starting to really make sense. I loved how Marsha Lamar betrays him, which is very comparable to Jezebel Jett in R.I.P. I love the John Mayhew reference. I thought the, the scene with Betsy and Roderick Kane was really, really good. Like that, was, that would be something you would read out of a crime novel. And I assume that Hurt knows who Bruce is by now, going all that, and that's really complicated to explain, so I'm not going to try to do that. And I think it's cool that he re- Bruce realizes that he has to die in order to get back to present day. Uh, I love the panels where Marcia becomes Martha. Uh, this just felt like a really great TV episode. It was very cinematic, and it was really rewarding to to read. I love the uh, one of the one of the thugs outside says, "I brought lead for my pencil," which <laughs> sounds like a Joker reference from the Dark Dark Knight. I re- the one moment that I wish we would have saw that we didn't was when Lamar mentions uh, a young Bruce Wayne, because I thought it would be really cool if. Bruce Wayne would have met him younger, but I'm sure the DC Universe would have exploded or something, so that's why they couldn't do that. Didn't Back to the Future teach you nothing? I guess it didn't. But there is a mention of Thomas Wayne's problems and how young Bruce is kept away at boarding school, and I read that as if Morrison was connecting his Legend of the Dark Knight story, Batman Gothic, which was from the late 80s, which I thought was really cool. This issue, like I said, is just really terrific stuff. I thought the artwork... I think is really really good. It captures that crime noir atmosphere and I the artist change in the book is done extremely well. Like you I didn't even notice that there were two different artists artists coming on. I think another thing is the balance of the stories is done really well. He's telling this really good detective story, but he's incorporating elements to help tell the big picture. And and I like he 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 spaces them out really well. This can be confusing, so reread it reread it five times because you'll learn you'll see you'll find something new every time in this issue which I thought was really great so uh, I of course because I am gay for Grant Morrison will give this five out of five Batarangs
4: I, I enjoy this as well this is also um, uh, one of like, you know, the issue from the return of Bruce Wayne mini which I was looking forward to the most and I was really digging it I must say though the ending kind of confused me and um I really tried in, in the in the time I had to really try to understand what was going on. But ultimately I didn't. And and I, I, I'm honestly I, I think it's my own fault for not just reading it closely. I'll have to read it again because I, I really liked how this issue was going. I love the full place full page splash of Bruce in, in the Thomas Wayne bad suit. That was really well done with like the eclipse and everything. And the inclusion of the black I always loved in this whole Grant Morrison epic. It's like the creepiest thing. He's given to, like, the, the uh, Batman mythos since I don't even know when. And um, I'm, I'm happy this, this series is ending just because we, we finally know what's all been going on. Um, this, I mean, despite my confusion, which does temper it, I will give it a strong four out of five Batarangs.
2: All right, so that is going to give Batman Return of Bruce Wayne number five, four and a half out of five Batarangs.
0: I'll clip your wings, you
2: flying rodent. Alright, so our next book is going to be Bruce Wayne, The Road Home, Batman and Robin number 1. I'm going to sum this up very quickly because there really wasn't a whole lot going on in this. There was this new person that we haven't seen in any book. We might see it in a book that was supposed to come out prior to now, but hasn't come out. We'll find out later on that his name is The Insider, And he is basically observing Dick and Damien throughout the entire story take down this little syndicate that has created a problem. We later find out also that the insider actually was the one who created this problem and is taking notes on the fact that it seems as if Dick can actually be... Uh, Batman, and he's done an amazing job with transitioning Damien into the hero that he is now. Uh, At the end of the issue, we find out that the Insider is working with Tim Drake, and in fact is none other than Bruce Wayne. How Bruce Wayne returned, I guess we'll have to wait until November to find that out. But hey, you know, it's DC Comics, so we get some reveals before we're supposed to. So with that, let me get into my review. It wasn't very good, uh, and I hate to say that because it was written by Fabian. I thought the art was, was uh, average. I don't think there was anything spectacular about it, but I don't think there was anything bad about it either. It was just plain average. There was detail where there should be detail. There was a little bit, there was some extra detail on some pages, but for the most part, it was just average art. The story just didn't seem to flow very well. But I can't figure out if that's because the story was supposed to follow some other books that haven't come out yet, and that's why we. it doesn't make sense, or it doesn't make as much sense as it possibly should. I think there's a big part that's missing, and I think DC really kind of messed up on this one with releasing these books before Return of Bruce Wayne number six, Batman Robin number 15, number 16, because there's a lot of bits and pieces that I'm almost positive we're going to find out that we should have known before starting to read this mini series, I guess you would call it. So with that, I am only going to give this one 2 out of 5 batterings. This
3: was all right, but I feel like it was mistitled because if it's if it's Batman and Robin, then it should have then it should feel like the Batman and Robin book. Not, you know, Fabian doing a fill-in issue or whatever. It should have some of the Grant Morrison-y weird stuff. Like, I feel like they were just capitalizing on the Batman and Robin logo. Maybe that's just me. I don't know why. Oh, I'm glad right. that, yeah, I'm glad that we're getting some forward movement with stuff like the Vicki Vale thing. Um, I think that it's stupid that Bruce Wayne is going back to this hiding thing and you know and testing his allies how many times has Bruce Wayne had to learn his lesson like oh I realized that I was being too hard on you guys and I shouldn't test you I should trust you then he does this stuff like <laughs> why, why doesn't he just blow up the bat bunker you know like and see how Damien and Alfred and and and, D- and Dick react, you know, that, that'll be a good test for them. Yeah, like, it's just, it feels like 1990s Batman all over again. That being said, I did enjoy it. I didn't like the art, and th- it, I think that this was poorly executed, but some of it was enjoyable, so I'm going to give it 2.5 out of 5 batterings.
0: I was kind of in the opposite camp with this. I really enjoyed this issue, despite the fact that Bruce Wayne showing up is... Extremely confusing, but I kind of just dismissed it because I knew I know at some point this will all makes sense. I hope it will all makes sense. I again, I think Fabian writes some of the best stuff in the Batman books right now, and I think you know mentioned before Dick and Damien's relationship. He writes that really well. I liked how Bruce reacts to observing how they work together, um, and I and he Fabian did a really he made a point of showing that. You know, Dick and, and Damien kind of make, a, make it a game when they're going through this, which I thought it was kind of fun. In regards to Cliff Richards, I don't think he's spectacular either, but I think he's very serviceable. Uh, I don't think there's things in his art that are really worthy of complaints. But I actually thought this was a, was a pretty good issue, so I'll give it 3.5 out of 5 bad ranks.
4: This, this is probably the most disappointing issue of The Punch for me because it was Batman and Robin written by Fabian. So I don't want to say I had high hopes for it, but at the same time, I was I was expecting this, or when I was done with it, I was expecting, wow, that wasn't as good as I was wanting it to be. I don't know. It just felt this could have been anywhere else besides its own one shot. There's nothing in here that deserves its own one shot, despite being in the return of Bruce Wayne trade that's going to come out, you know, eventually. Though I think the biggest thing that I don't like about this is the continuation of the stupid Vicky Vale subplot. I mean, she's she's basically doing this to save her butt in her own career. now. Whenever she shows up and she's so determined to know the truth, I'm like, somebody just throw her off because I don't really care. I do think I do think the art was better than it was in a seven hundred three because Cliff, Cliff Shane did that issue, and I like the colors in this one. I don't think it's excellent or all that better, but it is. A st- I did I did enjoy it more than I did the other um, the other issue. The one scene that I kind of questioned the most was um, Bruce Wayne, it, you know, who was actually Tom, Tommy Tommy Elliot. And uh, Vicky Vale showing up for what, what appears to be like a five-minute conversation, and uh, Elliot kisses her and he says, "Well, I have to go, but for some time." And that was like completely worthless almost. I mean, I know it's to throw off the scent, but it was just it was it wasn't written very well because it literally seemed like those two people got all dolled up, showed up at a fancy restaurant, talked for about maybe two or five minutes, and then left. And I, I, that just kind of struck out to me as weird. I did like the ending though because if you think about it. it was, this is called Batman and Robin, and while Bruce was analyzing Dick and Damien, he was the only person he's revealed so far that he's back is, or the person who knows he's back is Tim. So on one side, you have a Batman and Robin team, on the other side, you have the, um, the most previous Batman and Robin team. So that was kind of a fun coincidence. But overall, I'll, give, I'll just give this a 3 out of 5. It's not a bad issue, but I was disappointed with it.
2: That's going to give Bruce Wayne, the Road Home Batman and Robin number 1, 3 out of 5 batterings.
1: night i watch over this city but now someone stands in the shadows who knows my every move before i make it stalking me
5: it ends tonight
2: who do you work all right so let's get into our next book which is bruce wayne the road home red robin
1: As opposed to revealing himself one by one as he's done with everyone else, uh, Tim is aware of Bruce's plan and they're actually working together. Bruce is even going along with Tim in his plan to bring down the Council of Spiders. Bruce is infiltrating the Council of Spiders with Bruce's new suit that he's been wearing throughout the the Road Home series. Now, during this operation, Bruce has been hired to take down Red Robin, and Tim is aware of this, and they have a plan to stage a fight, but because they're testing each other, because, you know, Bruce has to test all his allies, he actually fights Tim for real, and Tim's aware of this, and he's like, "Aha!" ha so a test it is. Prudence interrupts everything, and uh, Bruce quietly wonders if Tim is, dipping too much into dark things and if he should really be trusting people like Prudence. While Prudence and Tim are talking, planning their next move against the Council of Spiders, she's talking to somebody about Tim and his mysterious ally over the phone. Tim wonders who this is, but she dismisses it. It turns out that it is Raz al Ghul who has taken these clues and realizes that the detective is alive. Vicki, speaking of detectives, Vicki Vale is still trying to track down all of this, who is the Bat family, and she goes to Alfred with the information that she has. She's aware that the Bruce Wayne that she went out with the other night was just an imposter, so Alfred decides to tell her everything, including Bruce being dead, traveling through time, and now being back which causes Vicki Vale to drop her cup of tea. But then Alfred denies it a second later, and while Vicky isn't looking, she switches the Bat the batch racer that she got from Dick with the trinket. Vicki says that she's going to analyze the Bat racer and that's going to prove everything, and Alfred tells her that he can do that and that he's just going to deny everything. We close with the whole white case book overlapping with Roz's revelation of him knowing that Bruce is alive, with Bruce giving his thoughts on him about how Tim has grown a lot, but perhaps he's dipping too much into the dark side of things, and he wonders if Tim will fit into the plan for his next phase of things. That's the end of uh, Road Home, Red Robin.
2: Alright, so Bruce Wayne, Home, Red Robin. Now, the one thing that I, that I didn't understand with this book is why in the world Ramon Box got back on this book. We tend not to like Ramon Box, mostly because his art is very inconsistent, but surprisingly, it wasn't actually that bad in this issue. But then again, we didn't really see Tim outside of his costume to see a 10-year-old boy compare to an old man. So that aspect wasn't as bad as I imagined it would have been. Um, The story itself, it really didn't seem like it accomplished anything. Like, uh, okay, so... Bruce works with the Council of Spiders. Basically, we're getting the Council of Spiders to show up to basically have Bruce understand that the Council of Spiders exists because it wasn't around before he was around, or while he was been gone. I don't really think that this story was really, really necessary. The only thing it accomplished was Ra's Ghoul found out that Bruce Wayne's back, and Bruce Wayne found out that Red Robin's working with Prudence. So with that... I don't think it was a horrible story, but I can only give it uh, two and a half out of five Batterings.
1: First of all, (laughs) last year when they were setting up the plot threads for Batman Reborn and the Gotham Gazette, Batman Alive and Batman Dead books, the storyline that I was most excited about was the Vicki Vale discovery and the Batman family's identity thing. But we just got in so much inconsistency with it here. We have one book where... Tim decides that he's going to throw off Vicky Vale once and for all by getting shot in front of everyone and then he has this long-term plan that requires him to walk around in crutches and a cast for the foreseeable future that you know that's you know this long-term plan which in a Batman book the very next month Dick ruins it you know basically tells him well now you're stuck in this cast for the next few months for no reason because I just went and basically told Vicky Vale that we're Batman and Robin and then he plans the trade for and Then we have Alfred say, yup, they are, oh, gotcha. Oh, but guess what? All three of those books that I mentioned are by the same writer. I mean, I love Fabian, but can he decide where we're going with this Vicki Vale thing? I mean, and I really feel bad for Tim is walking around, you know, having to pretend, pretend to be crippled for the next six months because of this plan, and, you know, which basically Alfred and Dick both blew. I mean, Alfred saying, oh yeah, Bruce travels through time, what? Aha, but I'll deny it if you say anything. That is so stupid. She's, a you know, first of all, Vicky should have had a tape recorder going, hidden somewhere, if she was a smart reporter, and then, yeah, bringing the Bat Tracer with her, that was really smart, too, you know, so Alfred could switch it. Okay, so Prudence is a double agent, again. Didn't we go through this in the Batgirl and Red Robin crossover last year, where she was like, I was hired to kill you, but I'm really betraying Roz. My bet is is that she's like a double, double agent. We're going to find out that, uh... Even though we see that she's working for Roz, that Tim knew all along, and that Roz didn't know, or maybe Roz knows, and they're, like, both playing her against each other. Who knows? And I'm really tired of Bruce doing this whole thing. I have to attack Tim to test him. Why do you need to test him? You've been working with Tim forever. You're the one who died and was Omega-sanctioned and just came back. Maybe he's the one that needs to be tested. Screw you, Bruce. (laughs) I need to attack him to test him. You've been working with this guy for... How many years in comic time now? Anyway, uh, despite all that ranting, the story was somewhat enjoyable, but I really can't give it anything above two out of five Batarang.
0: Yeah, I thought the story was okay. The Vicky Vale storyline is just really annoying to me uh, for a couple reasons. First off, I don't buy her as a threat to anybody, and I don't understand why Fabian thinks that we would think that she's a threat and he's trying to he's trying to create suspense and tension by using her and i just get mad because she's being a so it's not intriguing to me at all i did like alfred's little action there when he was speaking to her that was clever but that's not surprising from alfred i like the scene where bruce and tim are kind of throwing one over the council of Siders. it still seems like they're trying to prove something to one another which shows the respect Raz al Ghul showing up at the end was nice and Ramon box as Justin said I was surprised it was pretty solid maybe he's growing on me I don't know but I'll give this uh three out of five batterings
4: I'm gonna give it two and a half out of five batterings it was okay there, there are parts that are there are nice like Tim and uh, Bruce I like their Aaron monologues near the end where they were sort of similar they weren't exactly similar but they were sort of reaching towards the same conclusion which they kind of did near the end of the fight scene. But other things like, like the whole Vicky Bale subplot and Bruce hopping from, from comic book to comic book to just to, to check out his friends for a little bit. This is exactly what I, I was hoping not to see when these Road Home uh, one-shots were proposed. And in my opinion, it, it kind of permeates throughout throughout the rest of them, the ones I have read so far. They don't really stray too much from that idea, so. I don't have anything against Ramon Fox as an artist and artist, but he didn't actually help me enjoy the issue anymore. So yeah, two and a half out of five batterings.
2: Alright, and Swab Star on the website gave it one out of five batterings, so that's gonna give Bruce Wayne the Road Home Red Robin two and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Bruce Wayne the Road Home Batgirl. Imagine that, sir. Huh? What? Someone dressed up in a
1: frightening costume, running around scaring people. What will they think of next?
4: Written by Brian K. Miller and illustrated by Pere Perez. This issue starts off at the Wayne Research and Development Center, where Batgirl is watching the costume Bruce Wayne take out some guards and steal some stuff. Batgirl goes goes up against him, but with his heat vision and some kind of sonic powers from his suit. She no obstacle for him. Back at the Rossum Computer Science Building, Oracle and Stephanie go over the fight and also have footage for the fight between Bruce and Dick and Damien from that one shot. Stephanie wants to take on this guy alone, but Oracle says no, not until we know more about him. But ha, Stephanie, she never for follows by the rules, does she? So using Proxy's assistance, she helps track down the electrical the attributes to Bruce's costume, track him down near Devil Square, which eventually turns into Crime Alley. Stephanie starts to think maybe this has something to do with the Wayne, so she starts, she. It gets a flashback between key moments in your life between her and Bruce Wayne and starts feeling some... I think she starts feeling some survivor's guilt. She gets ganged up by, by a bunch of hoodlums and she doesn't actually have her costume at this point. She has a, a ski mask and her uh, and her staff. While she runs out, she she realizes that there is a Park Alley reclamation press conference with Tim and Tam Fox. So she figures, okay, the, vet, the Bat family may be under attack. She goes to the parking lot and sees Bruce Wayne pretending to snipe Tim. So she tries to stop him and Bruce reveals himself after he thinks that Stephanie has proven her mettle. Stephanie freaks out and slaps runs away but eventually comes back in costume later that night and makes her case that she she has deserved the right bruce agrees with this while this is all happening vicky vale has accosted oracle after crossing alfred and basically saying well you and dick grayson you guys are you guys were dating or was it fat girl and robin oracle responds saying well yeah no so that's a little bit of a dead end at the end of the issue alfred and bruce meet in an alley off crime alley Alfred starts to question, like, why is he going after everyone, and Bruce says, just because he needs to, feels he needs to do that, and he will be going after Catwoman next. Alfred also brings up, like, why haven't you mentioned hiding or hair of Cassandra Cain? And Bruce responds and says, I know exactly where Cassandra's been. She's followed orders ever since I disappeared and intentionally gave up the mantle for of Batgirl for Stephanie Brown, because Stephanie Brown has finally proven herself worthy of something. The issue ends with Stephanie Brown fairly into the role as Batgirl with Bruce Wayne's blessing.
2: All right, so Bruce Wayne, the Road Home Batgirl. This issue, I think, was a little bit better than the Red Robin issue. I like the flashbacks that they showed between Bruce and Stephanie. I think it was really, really cool to see Bruce give Stephanie approval and say, if this is what you want, this is yours. It's, it's yours. There's nobody who's going to stop you from being this. I think that was cool, considering the history between Steph and Bruce hasn't been... Let's say the very best um, as far as Bruce taking away her roles within inside the Batman family. I also think that it's kind of cool how, how Bruce thinks because Stephanie's not within the immediate family of the Waynes, she'll be able to be used as a possible undercover person who nobody would ever suspect. I think that's pretty important. I think that's going to play a big role and that's why they they stressed it. Mention of Cassandra Kane was kind of cheap just because people have been asking for it and asking and asking and asking and this is their way of saying, "Okay, okay, stop asking. We, we here here's your answer." I'm sure there'll be more to come out of that. I just think that was kind of a cheap way of basically throwing the fans a bone about Cassandra Kane. The art was fine. I didn't have any really any issues with the story, other than the Sandra Kane bone, it was pretty good. Um, I think it did a good job at conveying not only the emotion of Bruce Wayne returning and Stephanie reacting to it, but also the fear that Stephanie's had since she became Batgirl, which was, oh, should I really be Batgirl? It, you know, am I really supposed to be wearing this Bat symbol on my chest? I think it did a great job, so I'm going to give this one 3.5 out of 5 batterings.
1: All right, uh, this might be my favorite of the uh, Road Home books, because first of all, you know, Bruce does his thing that he's been doing with everyone I'm going to pretend to attack, you know, the family, you know, so they can test their worth. And Stephanie reacts like any person would if you you would do that to them. She slaps Bruce in the face, and she not only calls him on what he's doing there, but she pretty much calls him on all those stuff. She's like, you know what? (laughs) Those plans for that gang war that everyone blamed me on, you're the one who made those plans, I, you know, and it's your fault for not telling me about it, which a lot of people have been very quick to blame Stephanie for the gang war, which, yes, a lot of that was her fault, but some of that did rest on Bruce, So I like how uh, somebody was finally calling Bruce on his, you know, i um, holier than thou in Gotham ee- stuff that he's been doing. Uh, I, Brian Q. Miller, for, like, a new person, for a new comic book writer, he knows his continuity. Like, th- those flashbacks at the beginning, those were straight from. Like, that first one was straight. From uh, the original uh, Chuck Dixon Detective Comics trilogy that uh, Stephanie was introduced in, I mean, lots of great callbacks to continuity throughout this. But even though there was the callbacks to continuity, it wasn't bogged down by continuity that I think a new reader would have a hard time getting into this. Uh, they showcased, you know, uh, the difference between Stephanie's relationship with Proxy and Oracle. Speaking of Oracle, yeah, that that Vicky Vale scene was about as stupid as Donovan made it sound when he recapped it. The whole oh. I see that you were dancing with Dick Grayson. Or was it Robin dancing with Batgirl? Hmm? This Vicky Vale storyline really interests me, but for some reason it's being written like completely idiotically. I-, I hate Bruce dressing up in a suit and attacking his friends to test him, because, again, they've been fine. He's the guy that was dead and out of action for a while. Maybe he's the one that needs to be tested. Oh, but by testing them, he's really testing himself. Ooh, I don't know. That's really more of a criticism of the Road Home books themselves than this actual issue. The art was good. The story was good. Dustin thinks that the Cassandra thing was cheap. I actually think that it it was just a little bit, but a little bit was a long way due to everything that's happened with Cassandra. Because a lot of people hated the way that she left the book. Thought it was out of character for her. So yeah, this is a retcon. It's a little bit contrived, but I think it's necessary for some redemption for Miller over the way that he wrote Cassandra out and for the character of Cassandra for leaving the way that she did. So I'm going to give this 4 out of 5 Batarang.
0: Overall, this was a really solid issue. I liked, as mentioned before, how Stephanie reacts when Bruce reveals himself to her. And then I really loved how Stephanie confronts him, because that really showed us how much she's evolved over time as a character. I also thought the Cassandra thing was cheap. I'm not going to get into that, because I know I'm going to have a big rant following me. Uh (laughs) I just felt like that was just an edit- editorial's way to, it's, it's, they're trying to make everybody happy now, and I don't know, didn't make me, but the artwork I thought was really, really, really good, and I thought this artwork was really solid, so I'll give this three out of five batterings.
4: The Cassandra thing, I agree with that, I think I agree with everyone that, that's gone before, because I agree that with Justin, it was cheap, and, you know, literally people's way of saying, okay, here's an explanation, but I, I agree with uh bretonian that's like it's gone a little bit goes a long way yeah it's kind of a lousy way to backhandedly say oh this is where she's been but it's in continuity and it both salvages like Cassandra's actions and why Bruce you know has it gone for her because Bruce did adopt her she is part of the Bat family you can't just like write her off because she's not been around so I, re- I really liked I really liked the explanation the explanation brief and uh, tertiary, tertiary as it was I did like it this was a good issue. It was well written. It was well drawn. I like the art. But this is This, okay, this is a problem with the road home issues. I don't buy Bruce popping in for an hour, looking at his uh, friends and allies and says, well, they're still alive. I guess they're doing quite all right. I'm, I'm not sure if I really buy the changing opinion that he had with Stephanie Brown before and after this whole backroll thing. I'm not saying Stephanie Brown hasn't deserved the role. I'm not saying she's not right for the role. It just wasn't written well enough to where I bought that he accepted her in the role. Because we basically get her um, monologuing nervously over, over him. He says, okay. And then at the end, we get a full piss blast where he basically states the obvious. I mean, I did, I did like the fact that he felt that she reminded him of Barbara as back role, but he doesn't really any, say anything that I think would justify it in his mind. And that is a really big failing for me in this issue. Everything else was fine. And I love the Cassandra thing. But that one, which the whole issue is, you know, hinging upon, I just didn't buy it. I did like the issue, so instead of a higher grade, I'll just give it three out of five Batarangs.
2: All right, so that's going to give Bruce Wayne, The Road Home, Batgirl, a total of three and a half out of five Batarangs. Let's move into our final book. Who are you? They call me... YELLOW SKINNED WACKY MAN! Bruce Wayne, The Road Home, Outsiders. This is one of the few times you will ever see the Outsiders come back and this book specifically addresses why we will probably never see the Outsiders again. We first start off in Markovia where Bruce Lee infiltrated the country of Markovia and Katana is running around trying to find out who is actually going to try to assassinate Prince Byron, who we know as Geoforce. Uh, She finds a man, gives him some money when he says what's going on. We then see a, I guess we could call a liberal, who believes that uh, Prince Byron should be killed. We then cut back to the castle where Katana comes in and finds a bunch of guards being beat up. ...by none other than the Looker. Uh, they talk for a brief amount of time, and then they run into Halo. And Halo's who has a memory problem, is telling her, Oh, yes. Uh, oh, your name's Leah. Oh, you're, you're the Looker. I, I don't remember. We then cut to the Vicky Vale thing, and she has just found out that the Tracer that she had is nothing more than a little toy... Uh, She then talks to Jack Ryder, who we also know as the Creeper, and she tells Jack Ryder, What would you do if you had a story that could change everything? Would you kill it? How can a story be too good to publish? So Jack Ryder responds, Wow, that's not like you to do that. But uh, then again, you have to ask yourself, What is truth? That's the end of that. We then cut back to the Castle Markovia, where the alarm is going off in the castle. Katana and Looker run off and tell Halo to sit still. Uh, They meet up with Geoforce, who, instead of worrying about what's going on with the alarm, is more concerned with hugging and finding out what's been going on with the Looker. Uh, Outside of the castle, there's a giant riot going on. The few outsiders that are here, Katana, Looker, and Geoforce, go outside to kind of help out with the riots. When Geoforce gets shot by what appears to be a grenade launcher. Back on top of the building, the insider sees where the grenade launcher was shot from and goes and takes out the man who did it. Halo appears out of nowhere and sees that the person who she thinks shot Prince Byron is no one other than the insider, who we know as Bruce Wayne. Uh, Then we have a nice fight scene between Halo, Looker, Katana, and Bruce, where Bruce, of course, wins Geoforce for a second appear to be dead is now alive and coming straight at the Insider. They have a nice little fight scene, but eventually Geoforce gets taken out. Uh, We then find out that Geoforce is fine. Nothing's wrong with him. He will survive. Uh, Halo and Looker go back into the castle. Katana goes into a room where she sees none other than Bruce Wayne sitting there. Bruce tells her that He's very disappointed that the outsiders have fallen apart and are no longer doing what he wanted them to do. She says, but that was bound to happen. We've dissolved over the years, but we've formed back up again. He goes, well, that's probably only because of you. Then she says, I have no idea where Black Lightning and Metamorpho are. And Bruce says, well, we'll have to figure something out with them. She basically said, he thanks her for being the glue that keeps the team together. And then he says, uh, faith is something that has always been hard for me to come by, but, uh, I'll try to have faith in the fact that the outsiders will be what I need them to be again. And then his final remark says, for now, as they stand, the outsiders cannot serve a part I have planned for them, but we'll see if I have to intervene, I will. So that's why we will probably no longer see, be seeing the outsiders within the bad books. All right, so Bruce Wayne the Road Home Outsiders. Let me start off with the art. The art was very good. I thought, for the most part, it was very good. Now, at the very end of the issue, there's a couple silhouettes that are shown of Katana and of Bruce. One thing I have a problem with is Katana looks like she's a robot, (laughs) but uh, other than... That one silhouette page, uh, the art was actually pretty decent. Um, The story is interesting, but I don't. I think this was really unneeded. The only thing I think this story served a purpose for was to say, "Well, the Outsiders are no longer a bet." Which, if you've been reading the Outsiders, which we haven't been on the podcast, but uh, you would know that because. Somehow, The Outsiders, ever since the beginning of the year, turned more towards a Superman book with Force aligning with New Krypton. But that's besides the point, because you probably don't even know what New Krypton is, if you don't read anything but the Bat Books. Besides that, this is just an interesting point where, really, what was the reason for having this? To have Bruce Wayne realize that The Outsiders was a waste of time, and everything that he wanted to happen with that series failed miserably because Dan DiDio came on the book? Yeah, probably. So, overall, it wasn't a bad issue, but I can't give this one more than two out of five bad ranks.
1: Glad that Bruce is finally realizing what everyone else realized a long time ago, that, man, you know, everything that I had set up for the Outsiders, that kind of didn't go through because he had that whole dying video message to Alfred, and then we had that cool run where Alfred was actually leading the Outsiders, and the art was good, and the story was good, and there was good team dynamic, and then, uh, well, we all know what happened there, and Bruce appears to be as disappointed as we are, which is one saving grace of the book. At least they're not pretending. Oh, wow, the Outsiders are even better than I thought it would be. Yeah, this is so much better than that plan that I left for Alfred. You guys are doing your thing and doing it well. I mean... But you know what? When even Bruce Wayne comes into the book and says it's an other failure, (laughs) that's a pretty bad sign, come to think of it. Oh, and apparently because Vicki Vale is a female and she's a reporter just like Jack Ryder, I guess they decided that uh, maybe they used to date or something. Like, they have to flaunt their sexual history, like, in the middle of that. Would you publish a story conversation? Why, Vicki, when we used to have intimate relations all the time, you never talked like that. That, that. that felt so clunky to me, like a way of, like, making two previously existing unconnected characters have a past relationship. Like, and, and then them revealing them the most, like, weird, like, who has conversations like that? Where, like, you just, like, bring that up. I don't... Well, I mean, it was their way of getting Jack Ryder the book because The Outsider's just, just so splintered now. Oh, and they go, You're going to plan an international incident by calling a hit out on the King of Markovia. Yeah, there's no way that that can blow up in your face at all after Stephanie just slapped you in the face in the last Road Home book, complaining about the gang war that you caused. I mean... He could have caused an international incident here. Like, like Dustin said, the art is one of the only good things about it. But no, it gets one out of five battering
0: I actually thought that this was a pretty decent story. Mike Barr, I thought, has proven that he is a superior outsider writer than Dan DiDio, although he didn't have much to do there. It was very Mike open-minded. He's original Outsiders. That's why. Yeah, I mean. and he's a co-creator. I read this with a very open mind. I liked the Vicky Vale scene with with Jack Ryder. I thought that some of the dialogue in here was pretty good. I liked how Bruce makes a mention that Geoforce has a temper. I thought that was funny since when Dan DiDio started taking over the book, we mentioned how angry everybody seemed to be, and that's how the book was for so long. I also thought the artwork was pretty consistent. I didn't think it was great, uh, I didn't think it was anything real special, but I thought it worked, and I didn't have any problems with it. I thought this was a, a, a well-written Outsiders story. For once, so I'll give this three out of five rings.
4: This totally felt like a, a late '90s comic book, uh, in the sense that like the art style and the writing. I'm, I, I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing, but I'm just saying it was. It really struck out to me first of all. I think that this book was necessary because you know if he had a history of the Outsiders, he needs to see how they're doing. Okay, so I'm I'm not complaining about that, but I am complaining about when he hears Black Lightning and Metamorpho missing. He's like, well. We'll find them eventually. I know there's other things he, he needs to do, but, like, seriously? Not only that, but, like, t- Tatsu's like, um, there were rumors that you were gone. Um, I don't know. I, th- I thought that was public public knowledge in the, uh, the DC universe that, that Batman was a corpse, that Superman was cradling at the end of Final Crisis. So I didn't think that that was something that they just had an idea of. Um, I think Batman's gone. Uh, you think he's dead? Yeah, I, I think I heard that. Well, I don't know. We'll check on that later. The leader of our organization. Well, not just that, but the other.
1: Alfred was using them to help uh, keep Tommy Elliott at F.A. as the fake Bruce Wayne.
4: Katana is, like, in Seriously Gotham all the time. Like, what is going on? I mean, somebody at least tell Mike Barr that. I mean, if they're going to have this out, it is so inconsistent. And then Bruce like, well... I'm back now, and Black Lightning and will disappeared just like I am. We'll find them eventually. Time to go see Selena. again. This is this is exactly what I didn't want for these road home books. You know, just just one-offs about how how you know how swell the team is. Well, I said, I mean, obviously that's like he's here, but like you know, in general, how how great great everybody's been. And Bruce is like, well, they're fine. Even though I knew they were fine, you know, when I died or didn't die. Two out of five bad rings.
2: All right, so that's going to give Bruce Wayne the Road Home Outsiders two out of five bad rings. Alright, so that's all of our comics. Let's throw over to Nick with Bat Books for Beginners.
5: Hello there, and welcome to Bat Books for Beginners. If you're new to this segment, um, my name is Nick and what I do is go through a particular uh, Batman story or trade paperback and give my general review of it. And this is for those of you out there who are new to the Batman books or Batman comics and uh, it's for you to try and join me as I go through Batman's stories. Today I'm looking at The Mud Pack, which was written by Alan Grant, who's worked on Detective, Shadow of the Bat, and the Batman series, and he's also credited with creating the character of Anarchy, who I'm sure we'll see see in a future BBFB. And the art is provided by Norm Bravefergal, who has worked on Batman, Detective, Shadow of the Bat. So we've got two pretty big name creators here working on this story. Um, the story was published in Detective Comics in uh, in 1989, with issues 604 through to 607. And I've heard a lot about this particular story called The Mud Pack. It's not been collected into a trade paperback. A lot of fans feel that maybe it should be. So let's find out what are the Clayfaces up to. You
1: you can even form clothes out of your skin. But how? The formula must have soaked every cell in my body. It's, it's some kind of miracle. What, what are you doing? No. No. You're broke by concentration. It won't work. Don't you see? It's too hard. It's like tensing a muscle. I can't keep it up for long. My career, life, it is gone. And I can never get it back. I'm not an actor anymore.
4: I'm not even a man.
5: At Arkham Asylum, an enraged Preston Payne, also known as Clayface 3, escapes from his confinement and kills at least one guard in his escape. Batman is called in from his patrol immediately to help recapture Payne. Meanwhile Basil Carlo, Clayface number 1, has been released from prison and is setting up a new base of operations. Payne is found surrounded by guards who successfully tranquilize him. But the guards are confronted by someone that appears to be the looker. She uses her mental powers to ensnare their minds and tranquilize each other. She then uses her telekinesis to carry Payne away. Back with Basil Carlo, he's trying in vain to resurrect Matt Hagen, Clayface II. Now keep up, there's a lot of Clayfaces here. Uh, The looker arrives at Carlo's lair with pain, unconscious. She drops her disguise and it's revealed to be Sandra Fuller, also known as Clayface Four. That's right, we have four Clayfaces. And Carlo calls the first meeting of the Mud Pack to order and establishes the group's discussion points. How are they going to get fame and fortune? How are they going to acquire power? How can they finally best the Cape Crusader? And how are they going to kill him? So the mud pack try to figure out a way to defeat Batman, and whilst robbing a van full of bank money, Clayface 4 disguised herself as Batman, framing Batman for helping one of the Clayface members escape. The real Batman allows this to be public knowledge, just to see what their next move is, saying it's not the first time Gotham has hated Batman. Mudpack then attack a casino and Batman intervenes, but suddenly Jason Todd appears, and he starts to fight Bruce. Batman's aware it's a trick, but still finds it a bit of a shock, and as a result loses the fight, and the Mudpack escape with Batman hostage. Basil Carlo straps Batman down and terrifies him by showing him a particular film. Yeah, I thought that was a little odd too and Batman relives his recent traumas, such as Jason Todd's death and Barbara's paralysis. Carlo then betrays the other Clayfaces, drugs them and steals their blood, so he can have their powers for himself. He leaves Batman, who seems to be going, insane. The looker from Batman's Outsiders team arrives to help Batman after she found out she was being impersonated by one of the Mud Pack. She arrives to help Bruce and delves into his mind to help him get out of his madness. Once she's done this, they pursue Basil Carlo to a hospital where he mixes the blood of the two other Clayfaces and injects it into himself, becoming the ultimate Clayface. Then the looker does some strange psychic thing, and it turns Carlo from burning other people to becoming burnt himself. Yes, it's a bit odd. Carlo falls out of the window of the hospital, burns through the ground, with Batman suggesting that he's going to burn through the Earth's core. We close seeing Clayface 3 and 4, who have escaped from Batman, and are in love, and looking forward to their future together.
1: They promised that the best scientific minds in the world would fix my condition. It never happened. I tried to rejoin society, but it rejected me. I tried to beat society, but they parked me in Arkham Asylum. So now I have a new plan. If I can't beat them, I'll have them join me. As we speak, I am formulating enough of the chemical that created me to turn every citizen in Gotham City to clay.
5: Think they might come up with a cure then? So my review of Mudpack starts here, and uh, I thought it was a good start for the story arc. Uh, We got a brief background on all four Clayfaces, and um, that was quite interesting for me because I wasn't too aware of the other Clayfaces. The one I'm most familiar with is Matt Hagen from the Batman animated series. Um, I wasn't really aware of the other three very much, so it was good to see a little bit about what they were all about. And then we got to move on with the story. Um, I thought the third Clayface, Payne, was very creepy, and uh, he has a horrible way of killing people, almost as if they melt, and um, quite a disturbing way of of getting rid of his problems. I thought the story had a bit of a weak ending, and I didn't really, as you might be able to guess from the plot recap, understand what happened. Um, the Looker appeared and uh, did some strange psychic thing, and all of a sudden everything changed. I thought this was a bit odd. I thought the Looker seemed to be a bit of a convenient plot device. And she helped Batman get out of madness, and she ultimately defeated the big Clayface at the end. And without her, I don't think Batman would have got very far. Um, And considering this was a character I wasn't too familiar with at all, um, I found this a little bit disappointing. Maybe it was a case of Batman didn't have Robin, so he needed some sort of uh, counterpart in this adventure, but again, it was a little bit disappointing. Uh, But again, as we've seen recently, we had some flashbacks to Batman's recent issues that affected him, and these were such big moments in the comics, like Jason Todd's death, that clearly they had a big effect on other Batman stories around the time um bruce still has not dealt with this stuff and it's it's dragging on quite a long time now i'd quite like him to move on and uh and leave that chapter behind but it doesn't seem like that's happening it seems like it's lingering around longer than i would have hoped what was interesting about the story is this is that clayface four and clayface three preston Payne, find love together because they realize they've both been used by men of power and they're getting tired of being swindled uh villains are always more interesting when they're human and, and these guys had human flaws and it was you know, it was quite interesting to relate to and see how these villains were dealing with all these terrible things that were happening to them. They they're all pretty tragic characters, the clay faces, so it's uh isn't nice when they have something that's a bit more positive happen to them. I thought the dynamics of the Clayfaces were very cool. Um, I was a bit disappointed that Matt Hagen didn't make much of an impact, and I questioned whether it was worth mentioning him at all since he didn't turn up. I was expecting him to appear in some form due to them mentioning him earlier in the story, but no Matt Hagen. A little bit disappointed about that because, as I mentioned, he's the one Clayface I'm familiar with. But other than that, I liked the evil team's motivation. Um, I thought the betrayal at the end wasn't obvious, but something I probably should have expected. But it did uh, I thought it did a good job of having a bit of a twist there. The art was quite retro in this, but it had a fairly dark Batman. I've heard a lot about Bray Fogel's art, and I can see why people quite enjoy it. The clay faces were done well, and they looked pretty grotesque throughout, especially Preston Payne. And the art does a very good job of making the deaths of the innocent uh, bystanders seem really horrible in these situations. So all in all, I've heard really good things about this story arc, but I must admit I was a little underwhelmed. It was okay. Good to see the clayfaces in action, certainly improve their standing to me as villains. But uh, it was not excellent. Mostly through the involvement of the looker who I thought was a bit odd to include, and uh, the conclusion, again, involving the looker, was a bit weak. One of those ones where good build-up, poor ending. We've had quite a few of those. So, But all in all, I'll be giving it 3 out of 5 Batarangs. So that's BBFB done for one more time. Uh, next time I'll be looking at Batman, Son of the Demon. We'll be revisiting Rachel al Ghul. And this story centers on the eco-terrorist, the head of the League of Assassins, and why he's aiding Batman in his quest to solve the murder of one of Gotham City's most prominent scientists. So look forward to the return of Ra's next time. Um, if you have any queries about bbfb or suggestions do please send them to nick at the batman and i will make sure i get back to you and you can always pop on the forums to leave some comments about what you feel about this segment so i hope you've enjoyed it for this time and now it's back to dustin and the guys see ya
1: you know what i'd have given for a death scene like this too bad i won't get to
4: Read the notices. All
2: right, so that was Bat Books for Beginners. Make sure you pick up the next book for the next episode. Let's go ahead and cover what we're going to be covering on the next comic cast. We will be covering Azrael number 13, Mm -hmm. Batman and Robin number 15, Batman Beyond number 5, Bruce Wayne the Road Home Catwoman, Bruce Wayne the Road Home Commissioner Gordon, Ragman Suit of Souls... Superman Batman number 77, Bruce Wayne the Road Home Oracle, Bruce Wayne the Road Home Ra's al Ghul, Detective Comics number 870, and that is all we will be covering. So, we have a decent amount of books next time, too. Let us know what you think of this new format. This is the second episode we're doing it, but we want to know what you think of it, so make sure you're leaving some comments on the forums, and if you haven't, please leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to get nice reviews on iTunes. If you don't want to give us a nice review, well, you shouldn't be listening to this. Alright, so that's everything for this episode. As always, you can email us at podcast at podcast.thebatmanuniverse.net You can follow all the daily news on the website. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Join the forums and chat with other Bat fans, and you can leave us a review on iTunes. So with that being said, this is Dustin.
4: You got Josh.
2: This is Zach.
4: This is Donovan.
2: And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Take care.
4: Happy trails.
2: like somebody's asleep so no I'm, like, I'm, no, no, no I'm
3: awake no I'm awake I'm just quiet there's um there, there there's drama going on the happy go lucky Bruce Wayne who like is testing his friend it's like aha Tim thinks that I'm going to pretend to fight with him but I'm going to fight with him for real to test him so I'm the happy go lucky Bruce Wayne as much as I like Jim Lee I'm looking at this preview art right now I don't like the Joker's nose when he draws it it's too pointy but that's that
0: how dare you? How dare you how dare you say anything bad towards Jim Lee? Wow. <laughs> there are some people that I'm sure will listen to. A pox on the You
3: know, I'm I'm wowing at like this article. This is it's gonna be October twentieth in like two days, so in two years this project will be six years old. I mean two days this, be
2: this could be in fact one of the most delayed series ever. Will
4: it be the target?
0: That's a targets. that that could be a record and if this book's already got a record behind it, it may be worth checking out. You ask
3: if it's gonna be the target. Don, the target's never gonna be released. Okay, okay, move
2: on. And the funny thing is they on this in this article they actually announced who some of the next artists are gonna be, which they did not do, so I wonder if that changed. Whatever. Anyway.
0: I really hope sometime in the next five years Adam Beach wins like a slew of Eisners and shuts you up. Just I don't know why. Well, you can hope uh, for that. Based <laughs> off based off of his
4: work with Cassandra Cain.
0: Oh, just let it go, children. Uh, what are the
3: ramifications of his homecoming, and how is he involved in Batman Inc?
1: <laughs>
0: Why is he reading it like that? <laughs> you know how hard it is for me? Um, let's see, you read this. I to go, what the f? I, you know what I wanted to do when I heard you that? I wanted to start reading like I was an Irishman, but I resisted. I stopped, I stopped myself.
4: He's Scottish. I'm just Stop. like
0: really well, chill
3: right this... now, and you know, you gotta you got to go for an inside the actor's studio vibe you with these
4: like, things. You sound like. Some yeah, Bruce Josh, Bruce. Josh has like a bag of, bag of weed right next to like, You
0: sound like you're reading this while you're getting a. <laughs> That's what you sound like
4: right <laughs> now. What's, R- what's, going
3: Kathy, when... <laughs> <laughs> what's going
0: to happen? All right, Kathy, the jig's up. What's going to happen when Bruce Wayne himself. Not just Batman. When Bruce <laughs> Wayne returns to the world. Jesus Christ.
2: Conjecture.
0: Did you finish that without laughing at yourself no, before the end? No. Just last lesson, right? Okay.
3: And how is he involved, Batman? 8. <laughs>
1: Jesus Christ!
3: I can't change tones. Like it, when this is edited, it's gonna be like, what are the ramifications of it? And how is he involved in Batman? It, it's got a flow. That's why I had to read it like that. All right. That. I'm muting my mic. Okay. But uh, when he says this is the Wolverine of Batman, okay. There's the Wolverine of the X-Men. But there's a reason why there isn't a Wolverine of the Batman, because Batman is not the X-Men. Batman doesn't need a Wolverine.
0: How do you know he was talking about Wolverine from the X-Men? Maybe he's just talking about the animal. That World, would be even yeah. th- okay. The why, Zuni, why would that be Dumber? Everything he described a wolf, yeah, he, Wolverine to be is just
3: like the animal. Justin just recorded the hot. Justin just you know cut and paste the highlights. The rest of the interview was like Tim is like the goldfish of the Batman, you know and. And Catwoman's like the dog for some reason. And yeah, no. no. It's.
0: Uh. Birds of. I think the birds of prey. Birds of (laughs) prey. Wow. (laughs) They're. Seagulls now. I don't want you. You need to. Why is manga following me everywhere now? I know. I'm talking about manga. I try my hardest. Sometimes. Yeah, but you
2: didn't accomplish anything we needed.
0: Well, she... Well, now. Uh, big Bad Boy Brown which would be yourself can go in there and be like where were you <laughs> and I see here's the thing I don't
2: tell I, me this don't tell me this <laughs> don't tell me this I, I, I want to be the good guy I don't want to be why? the bad guy why do you want to be the good guy <laughs> <laughs> get, what does anybody ever get from being the good guy? Mud, <laughs> this is they so they weird. get they, they get mud in their face and they they get, they end up without a girl.
0: But see, That's here's here's the thing. <laughs> I,
2: <laughs> believe, well.
4: That's what on Facebook. I'm sorry.